Welcome football fans. Buckle up for another hard-hitting episode of Player 54 Podcast, a show focused solely on the XFL. From a sunny Southwest Florida studio, here's your host, Michael Lathrop. Hello, football fans. This is episode 75, 2023 Week 10 Recap and Divisional Championships Preview. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Royal Retros by 503 Sports. Royal Retros are the king of throwbacks. Royal Retros by 503 Sports provides a line of merchandise from legendary defunct leagues such as the XFL 1.0. If you've always wanted to get yourself a quality Las Vegas Outlaws He Hate Me or Los Angeles Extreme Tommy Maddox jersey, perhaps even an OG XFL's team's t-shirt, we have you covered. Simply click on the link provided in the show's description and notes and enter the code Let's Talk XFL at checkout to receive 10% off your purchase. The XFL 2023 regular season has come to a close. Four teams are preparing for this weekend's divisional championships. I will be diving into this and more. This week, we are blessed to have three guests. Orlando Guardians punter Mac Brown joins the show to discuss his XFL experience. Also, contributor Mark Halbach to review Week 10 games and preview divisional championship matchups. Lastly, ESPN analyst Tom Luganville returns to discuss the 2023 XFL regular season and more. But first, we have those developments to cover. So, let's get to it. On April 22nd, the St. Louis Battlehawks hosted the Orlando Guardians. The Battlehawks defeated the Guardians 53-28. Also on April 22nd, the San Antonio Brahmas hosted the D.C. Defenders. The Defenders defeated the Brahmas 29-28. This result secured a playoff berth for the Arlington Renegades. Then, on April 23rd, the Arlington Renegades hosted the Houston Roughnecks. The Roughnecks defeated the Renegades 25-9. Also on April 23rd, the Seattle Sea Dragons hosted the Vegas Vipers. The Sea Dragons defeated the Vipers 28-9. This result secured a playoff berth for the Seattle Sea Dragons. As I have previously mentioned, I will now be joined by Orlando Guardians punter Mac Brown to discuss his XFL experience. Welcome, Mac. I appreciate you taking the time to come on to the show and discuss your XFL experience. No problem. Happy to be here. Some of my listeners may not know much about you or who you are even in general. So I typically begin player interviews with sharing some of their backstory. I understand you played your collegiate ball at Division I Power 5 Ole Miss. While playing with the Rebels, you earned yourself a bit of a reputation as this hard-hitting, smash-talking punter, right? And this is the first time I've had a special teams player on it is really fitting because, I mean, always said, I'm a Guardian season ticket holder, so it just kind of happens that, you know, you fall in that wheelhouse for me. So it's, a, you know, a little bit. But special teams, man, there's always three phases of the game, so it's great to have a punter. What age was it that you were introduced to football? Can you kind of walk us through that journey of what football was like? What positions you were playing before maybe you ended up as a punter? Because I can't imagine the first thought was, hey, I want to be the punter. Yeah, uh, I think, you know, 
pretty much since I was, you know, right when I was born. I feel like I always just loved football. I was always passionate about it. Whether it was just playing with my buddies in the street. I mean, we we're always playing football or just throughout the neighborhood. But so my parents didn't let me play football till I was in seventh grade. So I, I thank them for that now because I'm not burnt out at all and I don't have a thousand concussions. So that that's kind of uh, one thing I'm thankful for. But I've always been passionate about it. I begged them, I begged them. They, they finally let me play. And I started out playing receiver and uh, just a little soccer background up until seventh grade. And I was just a guy that could kick the ball the farthest. So played receiver and safety and then just was kind of just jogged out there and did what I could punt and kicking the ball and uh, ended up clicking. And uh, next thing you know, I ended up at Ole Miss. Well, when did you realize playing like division one power five was, you know, a real opportunity, a real chance of happening for you? Was it something you realized fairly early? Did you have a lot of interest in scouts? Do you have a lot of offers? I mean, just kind of walk us through what that situation was like for you. I think I always, uh, I grew up a swimmer and also a tennis player as well and uh, played a lot of golf. So um, I think swimming was probably the sport I was best at. So I was an All-American swimmer um, and really kind of was focusing on that throughout high school. And football was kind of just the sport that I loved that kind of just, um, I played in the fall. But I think really it was my senior year. I had an 87-yard punt. I went to St. Thomas Academy. So shout out the cadets. And I had an 87-yard punt in high school, and uh, that one really kind of sparked some interest up in, in some of the schools around, and um, was de- debating if I was going to swim or, or play football, and uh, really wanted to play receiver, but, you know, obviously didn't have that opportunity at Ole Miss, would just be punting, but, I, you know, I wasn't going to pass up the opportunity to play in the SEC, so um, jumped at that. So that was really the only offer on the table? I just That was, uh, I mean, I had some smaller schools, go to the uh, University of Minnesota. And they ended up asking another guy, and uh, that kind of broke my heart. So I kind of used that as uh, they ended up coming back and offering me a preferred walk-on. And uh, I ended up kind of sticking with what I uh, what was offered to me at Ole Miss, which was a walk-on opportunity. And kind of took a chance on myself going down there and just punting one year. I only punted my senior year in high school, so uh, still very new to it. And once I got down to Ole Miss, it was, it was pretty much just scout team safety and punter. And that's kind of what I rocked with to, uh, to get by and, and stay on the team. Well, I asked those questions because some people were on the easy street. It was, right. you know, all lit up for them like a like an airport runway, and they knew mm-hmm. right where they were going from an early age. And some people kind of, you know, that term adversity is used sometimes a little too much, but you know, it's not always as clear. It's not as always easy. And whether it is one or two schools that kind of give you a look, whether it is the preferred walk on situation. Yeah, it's the SEC, but it wasn't like you had this guaranteed full ride opportunity. So I like to paint the picture of the player that's talking to, you know, the listener. So they kind of have a better understanding. Anybody can look up something really quick, but it's kind of nice to hear it from the player themselves. And sometimes what is always in print isn't always reality. So you find a couple things out as you start to talk to somebody or to listen to an interview where the person themselves are sharing it. but. At what point in college did you realize you might have what it takes to play professional football, whether maybe not the National Football League, whether it was, you know, we got all these, it's a great time for a player like you to come out with all these alternative or spring football, whether it's the arena and indoor teams or now with outdoor, we have obviously the XFL, the USFL, and there's those rumblings of major league football. Heck, even overseas, there's opportunities. When did you realize there was a possibility or there was a good likelihood that you would be playing professional football? Um, you know, for me, you know, it's always been my goal. It's always been 
you know, something when I was a kid that I'd pray for every single night. I mean, that's the dream, you know, to, to run out on Sundays and, and uh, play in front of a big crowd and get paid to do it. I mean, that's the dream job. Uh, for me, I think it was probably once I got down, you know, I had a couple of buddies that always said that, you know, the ball popped off my foot a little bit different or something like that, but I would never believe them because to me, I just went out there and to me, football is fun. To me, it's, it's not as much, it's not as I would say like detailed as it, as what some other people think it is. I think of it as going out there and just putting my, putting the defense in the best position possible. And however we can get that done is the way we're going to do it. I think towards kind of that COVID year, my fifth year down there, things kind of clicked. I had a good year. We had a really couple really good plays by our um, guys running down the field that kind of put me in a good position, started to get my name out there. And then it was kind of go time from then. It's always been a goal though. It's always been in the back of my head, but you know, getting an opportunity to play with the, you know, Orlando or rookie minicamp with the chiefs. I mean, both were, you know, those little little boy dreams coming true. And, you know, now I'm hungry for more. Before we dive into the XFL here, when did you realize that Pat McPhee was talking you up on his show? We know he's a punter, so he's got some love for, you know, fellow punters and whatnot, but how cool was it to learn? I don't know how long it took you to realize that he's talking about me on his show. I mean, mm-hmm. what was that moment like when you learned about it and how many people were hitting you up and things? I just before we kind of dive into the nitty gritty of the episode. Yeah, I mean, I didn't watch it live. I wasn't watching it live. A ton of people were sending it to me. And I mean, he's the GOAT. He's one of those guys you look up to. And he's, he does so much for the game and so much for special teams. So hearing, you know, just, you know, that guy, you know, mention you or talk about you or say you did a good job. It's just it's a pretty cool feeling. But, yeah, a lot of people were hitting me up about it. A lot of people were pumped about it and, you know, made me smile. It's super cool. So, I mean, I would love to meet him sometime and, uh, and, and, you know, chop it up with him. Yeah, that would be really cool. I mean, he had yeah. ties to XFL 2.0 there on the sidelines. Mm-hmm. So that would have been really an awesome opportunity. Who knows what's in the cards as, as, you know, the years move on and where you end up in general. So that could still become a possibility. Right. All right. Shifting gears now. Talked about the XFL here. So, Obviously, you weren't punter number one for week one, week two. You were a little delayed getting onto the field, getting into the team. And the team was off to, let's just keep it real, a poor start, right? And, you know, it's always kind of tough coming off, you know, five, six weeks of training camp and trying to get everyone together. But there's always going to be one team that just not, for whatever reason, not clicking like other teams were. And of course, during that, week one to week two transition there was you know a bit of a drama you know not to we're not gonna dig into the the shadows here of that and that's not what we're here for so we're not gonna do that but obviously there's a little bit of drama you know around Quentin Dormady and you know it took a little bit of the the team and whatnot to put him on the reserve list the league got involved okay blah blah but eventually he was reinstated during this crazy period how was that for you coming into a team during that time I mean, did it not seem any different? Like, really, like, hey, I, now I'm the guy to get the shot here. I mean, was it just, okay, you know, it's a little bit of eggshells. Not to get into the whole new group, but just how was the situation? Because that seems like a rough time to get started with a team. Yeah, I mean, it was definitely an interesting time uh, coming off two tough losses, you know, week one and week two, and and kind of coming in. You know, there was a needed position with Johnny going down. And, you know, for me coming in, I had a great relationship with uh, Coach Buckley. Um, I had a friend on the team and, and, you know, I think what was great about the Orlando Guardians, we had a really good, our record does not reflect the type of team that we were. I mean, 
the the group, we were a really, really close group, one of the closer groups that I've actually been with um, in all my years of playing football. And um, that was one thing. I think we took a professional approach the way we went to practice and, and that stuff while it was going on. I mean, in the end, that's other people's business to handle. I mean, that's not our business. We're there to play football. We're there to put points up on the board and, and all that other stuff is – between the league and, and Q, I think everybody just really wanted to get 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 a win at the end of the week. And, and I think, you know, there's turmoil and, and stuff, and that, and that was kind of my first time really seeing it as well. But I think, you know, overall, it's a professional game, and, and guys are trying to make money playing the game and trying to get good films. So, man, you got to worry about, you know, what you're doing and, and the, put the team in the best position to win. Drama, whatever it happens, you know, life. Yeah. Who doesn't have drama at some point in their life to whatever degree, right? It doesn't matter if it's professional football, personal, whatever. Okay. At what point did it seem like things were heading in the right direction? And I know it's hard to say that a one in nine team that things started going in the right direction, but I think anybody that really understands football can also look at the gameplay and how significantly things did change and how improved the team came across. Yeah, I'm not saying there weren't a couple things where you guys might have shot yourselves in the foot as a team of the collective, but you guys were much more competitive. You were in these games. You weren't really like just being, you know, manhandled in any, you know, lack of a better term, so to speak. But at what point did it seem like, hey, we're turning the corner. We can turn this around with it's not too late. Our season might be salvageable. I think my first game when we played Arlington and Arlington, we had two turnovers, uh, two fumbles that really hurt us. And in the end, we would have won that game without those fumbles for sure. And then I think at that point, guys kind of went into that locker room. We're like, okay, you know, these guys aren't anything special. We shot ourselves in the foot. We didn't finish that game. I think there was a little, you know, there's a coaching change. There was, you know, some, a play calling change. There was, I think we started, um, you know, spread the ball around a little bit more, started to kind of rotate guys in and out on special teams that haven't been in there. I think all of that kind of like freshness and kind of new, um, new flash kind of fired up our team. And we saw even in game against Houston, you know, the score wasn't there, but there was, you know, a time in that game where we were in that game very much so. And there was momentum riding. I mean, when, when we were going, we were going and we were making plays. So I think those flashes kind of showed to us that, you know, we can play good football. We just can't shoot ourselves in the foot. And a lot of the season, we just ended up turning the ball over or um, shooting ourselves in the foot or not finishing the games, you know? The one game you definitely did not shoot yourself in the foot was a game against D.C. Mm-hmm. Solid offense, solid defense. They might have slacked a little bit on their special teams, you know, uh, you know, a slip on a kickoff, two missed field goals. One was, you know, a significant uh, 50-some yarder, so let's not, you know, bag on him too much for that. But you guys as a collective team, all phases of the game, you guys were taking care of business. And, mm-hmm. you know, it doesn't matter how many fans were in the stands. Can you walk us through the buildup of that day? You know, what what was the vibe from the pregame, in-game, post-game of that particular day that you guys knocked off the undefeated team in what ultimately is the top team in the league, even as it stands right now? So can you just kind of walk us through that day? Yeah, I think it started – well, it really started that Monday. I think we came in off that game and, and we were really – the you know what we had in front of us and the opportunity we had and you know a lot of these guys are trying to push themselves to get to the next level so to not you know NFL teams not aren't necessarily looking at the worst teams film right you know you got to make plays to get noticed 
And uh, we wanted to go in there and make that game competitive. We wanted to go in there and win. And I think that day, we just kind of woke up with that attitude. It was a perfect day in Orlando. It was a great crowd. We had great energy. And right off the bat, I think once we knew we were in that game, we knew we were going to win that game. I think once um, you know we started making plays right away and we drove down, scored, they drove down, scored. It's kind of like, all right, this is going to be a shootout, and, and, and you know, we're in there for it. But I think it really started – we wanted to win that game for T-Buck. We wanted to win that game for the entire organization because, obviously, things were kind of on the downward spiral. And I think that game really really held us together, though. All right. Enough of the team. Yeah. Let's go look at you. All right. You've had a few very interesting games, okay, for the casual football fan, for even these football fans like myself as a season ticket holder whatever it might be, you had a few very interesting games here that included two big touchdowns. As a punter, how long have you guys been working on? I, I always know there's that possibility of a fake play, right? But how long have you been working on it? And did you realize you guys were, it's not a 50-50 chance or, you know, we have a third of a chance. Did you realize, hey, we have something here. Did, did you know for a long time you could be connecting on these larger plays. I mean, it just, it looked effortless. You look like you're a pro back there. You know, it's just like, wait, he's a punter. You know, like, so, I mean, I know I'm talking to you up here a little bit. Why don't you kind of, this is your soapbox moment. Just talk about, you know, how this came about <laughs> no, I mean, and, you know, just come on. I think, I think a lot of people were shocked, but it didn't just happen in one game it happened in, you know, in two. So here we go. I mean, if I pull up your statistics and let me do this really quick before you go off on that. So you, so two for three. Okay, the one interception is bound to happen at some point. Yeah, happens to even to the best of quarterbacks. Yeah. No, no, I get it. <laughs> it even happens to the best of quarterbacks. But I mean, you had 153 passing yards on two completions, and in two touchdowns, right? And I mean, so to have the floor. I mean, those are not just normal completions. So yeah. please have the floor. Well, I mean, first off, it's it's Katie Cannon and Jordan Thomas making plays. I mean, those guys are those guys are dogs out there, man, and. And shout out to to Coach Buck for giving me the opportunity to run it. I think when we were at Ole Miss, I would I'd throw to his DBs, and I think he always, you know, guys would joke around about me being an athlete, and and I would always try and brag to him and like convince him, like you know, I can route you up, you know, we can throw on you, you know, always, you know, just poking fun. And that was one thing when I came down. Uh, Coach Buckley said right away, he's like, "We're running fakes. We got nothing to lose. We're running fakes with you, and you know, it's there. Your green light, go. You know, it's 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 your call and but to have that trust from a coach to to kind of give you the green light like that, it just gives me so much more confidence on the field to make the play and and, and throw it. Um, obviously, I've I've been dreaming of that, you know, since I was a kid to uh, throw a touchdown pass or or uh, make a big play like that. But shout out to fifteen and eighty one, man. Those are the guys that are really the ones coming down and making the plays for me. I mean, it's one thing just to get a completion in the first down, right, or any completion, right? It's another thing. Both times it just end up being massive touchdowns. I, I'm not just saying mm -hmm. the yardage, but I mean, obviously, those scoring opportunities help you guys stay in games and keep the game, you know, within reach or however you look at it, keeps the fan base, even if the team's not doing so hot, keeps everyone like, okay, wait, there's more layers to this. We're better in a lot of different facets. I know most people don't expect that from the punter, but the reality is, it's an eye opener and for fans, mm -hmm. you know, opposing fans, whatever it is. So I, I had to get that in there. It was just because, I mean, obviously they are highlight reels that anybody's going to want, even if you're a punter, right? I mean, that just helps showing that you're more versatile. 
and you bring more skill sets to the position than just punting the ball. Absolutely. I think this past week when we went into uh, this game against St. Louis, I think I had like three practice punt reps. And I think we had like 15 plus practice fake reps. So wow. we weren't even thinking about punting. Coach T-Buck said the whole time, he's like, we're, we're throwing it. We're taking every opportunity. And I don't care if we're on our one yard line, we're throwing that thing. So um, <laughs> just that's kind of where T-Buck's head's at. Um, but I think it makes it exciting. I think the XFL, like all those new rules, it's such a fun league and it makes so much excitement. I mean, St. Louis had a big touchdown punt. I mean, just it's it makes the game exciting to to run fakes like that, especially when they work out. So looking at your your punting numbers here, I'm just kind of curious as to when you see your season now in retrospect versus while you're in the midst of it. You had obviously eight games. 28 punts, averaging just shy of 45 yards per punt with a total of, you know, 1,254 yards, eight of them within the 20. When you look at the season, now you're looking at your numbers, you can now look back on it. How do you feel you performed as far as a punter? Take us, take away the highlights, you know, touchdowns now, you know, let's come back to reality. How do you feel that you performed with your number one task, your main responsibility? Yeah, I mean, coming off the couch for sure was an adjustment kind of coming out of nowhere into a game and that's why everybody says to stay ready because you really have no idea when your opportunity is going to come i was you know fortunate to get on a great scheme and you know i've, I've had i had two snappers while i was there one that was a tight end that snapped for the first four weeks and then cam k that came in um well ryan becker snapped and then cam k came in and, and did a really good job for us as well um towards the end of the season so i think um overall i mean we you know had a, had a good season obviously you want to be leading the league in net and you want to be leading the league in average. And that's one thing that going into next season, that's my number one goal. And that's what I'm coming for. I'm having a full op- off season to train and be ready to go. And, and know that you're going to be the guy is, is comforting, but it's also kind of lit a little fire under me that I want to come out this next year and be the best. So that's my goal. So you mentioned next year. So obviously here comes the questions about the future. I know it's only a couple of days. It just for all transparency for everyone that's listening at home, you wrapped up the season on Saturday. We're talking here mm-hmm. on Tuesday. Okay. So eventually this interview will come out, but it's a little early. It's only a couple of days. What are you seeing on your future? Have you, your representation heard anything back from the team about returning for 2024? Are you hearing any interest from, you know, national football league teams or other opportunities, you know, kind of, I know it's early and I'm putting you kind of on the spot, but, what can we expect for it potentially seeing you, you know, where you play next? Yeah. Uh, I had a really good exit meeting with, you know, both the GM and, um, you know, Larry Lee and, um, and, uh, coach Buck. So I, I, that went really well. Um, I would love to, you know, sounded like they wanted me to come back if I wasn't, you know, had an, another opportunity and, um, I'd be, you know, I was, I'm all in to come back. Obviously I want to continue to play football. I love playing for the guardians and I, you know, I love the XFL. I'm very fortunate to be a part of it. And, and it was a super fun year. On the other side, uh, you know, I've been talking with my agent. My agent kind of keeps me in the loop on all that stuff. Um, that's what's kind of coming about the next couple of weeks. Is uh, guys are getting guys back into back into the buildings, and um, and that's that kind of will transpire. Obviously, if there's an opportunity at the next level, that's my goal, and, and I will jump at that. But um, come next January, if you know, I will hopefully be uh, be back playing in the XFL, if not not at the top. So you mentioned that you love the XFL. 
you obviously must have had a good experience. Can you kind of share with us what it is about the XFL that made you fall in love with it? I mean, obviously, your game, the game you love, you have an interest in pursuing a career with it. But what about it with the league? Because we know a couple things. We've heard that there was a vote, right, for unionization. For whatever reason, it didn't go in favor of unionizing at the time. We saw Parker Rambo of the the Bahamas tweeting that it's not that you guys don't want to unionize, that there's, you know, just you know, looking for the right fit of an organization. I mean, I know this is kind of a loaded question. It, it seems like some people are like, well, obviously people are not in a hurry to unionize with whoever right away. There must be good things about the league. So I'm kind of trying to use that to make my point. What is it that's so good about the league that you, you guys don't feel rushed to potentially tweak things with representation? I mean, I think it's just <clears throat> kind of comes down to weighing out all your options and, and making sure you're picking the best one. You know, you don't always, you know, marry the first girl that you date. So that was kind of the majority of the, the things guys were saying. And, um, you know, you just want to make sure that, you know, there's people talking about the NFLPA and, and other opportunities that, uh, like we said, we just want to make sure that we're, we're picking the best one. And collectively as a group, we're getting the best representation to, you know, make our, you know, work life comfortable and, and get us the things that we feel like we need. I think the USFL has done a really good job coming in the second year as well. And um, it sounds like their guys unionized and are happy and are um, got some opportunities that they actually got the things that they were working on. So that's, you know, really positive to see. And like I said, I think the fan bases with DC and Orlando and some of the other places, uh, just with the fan bases, they're just going to continue to grow. I think that's going to really catch fire and be a great league. And it's a fun league to watch. And, you know, I love watching it. All my buddies love watching it. My family watches it. So, um, you know, I think it'll just continue to grow for football fans. Well, we're not going to keep you long because I, I told you we'd have the window and I want to keep within the window. So I want to honor what I said and not steamroll you into something. You're good. Absolutely. Okay. You know, when you talk about the good things, obviously fan bases, there's a couple different models out there right now. And I know the pandemic changed approaches and, and, and rightfully so, because you want it to succeed. You don't want it to, to fold and grow back in the bankruptcy, regardless of what league it is. This time around the XFL, instead of doing the full hub model that we saw with the USFL, they did a hub, like a home city, but it still played in the markets. How much does that really impact you guys? You know, knowing that, okay, we're going to yeah. live in Arlington, we're going to train in Arlington, but we got to travel back and forth, right on the, the same flight, right, with the opposite team. I mean, good experience, bad experience with all this. I know it's been yeah. mostly positive by the sound of it, but I mean, kind of just kind of walk us through how that kind of fit and how that, you know, has it hindered you from wanting to come back? Because it seems like it'd be a little crazy. Right. I think, it, like, kind of looking outside of looking in, it kind of looks funny to be on the same flight, and I think that's kind of how we approach it, too, but... Um, the XFL does a really good job at keeping both teams, you know, very far from each other. It's, it's not as if, um, you know, I think it's great. I really enjoyed living in Arlington. I think it was, well, I think that there's, you know, I loved traveling to a different city every weekend. That was awesome to go from, um, you know, Orlando three weeks in a row to pop to Vegas to go back to Orlando for another, I mean, come on, you're, you're really having a good time there. I think it's going to be super cool, especially if we end up moving to Orlando or staying in those cities, just to grow the market of the area and, you know, get the fan base around. Because we really come in Friday and we leave Saturday night for Saturday after the game. So we can't really do too much to, you know, get the community involved. So I think 
once we go to those cities, you know, for now, I think getting the league started, I think, you know, the rock and Danny Garcia have done an unbelievable job getting, you know, getting us what we need and, and being successful. So very fortunate to have those two kind of lead the charge. You know, you always have to ask because I wonder if how many guys have the same outlook as you do. It just, it just doesn't look super odd from the outside. I'm like, you know, it's like living in a dorm. It's like building right. you know, that relationship with your, your freshman roomie all over again and kind of going through the, the ropes. But I mean, you're also getting paid. I think, and- I think that's one thing that guys are probably going to want to change is, is getting out of the, the roommate situation, the roomie situation. But uh, maybe that's one thing that maybe people can negotiate for next year. You know, guys can get their own little spot, but hey, it's you know, it's if if that's what you got to do to to play in the XFL, I'm willing to do it. You know, I got gotcha, you, I got gotcha. you. Well, you know, Mac, it has been a pleasure. It truly has, and I appreciate your time and having you on the show. You know, perhaps later on down the road, we'll have to see what life does. You know, whether you return for the 2024 season, and we can have that discussion, or even better yet, if you're able to take the next step and bridge us to playing in the you know National Football League, you know it doesn't hurt to always bring back an XFL alumni to kind of just talk about how it bridged and you know springboard them to where they're at now. So you know I'm going to leave that door open for you. It's up to you if you hear if you answer it when I knock. Okay. Absolutely. You know I will. You know I will. I appreciate you having me on. Thank you. You're welcome. But before we go, I always give everyone an opportunity. This is your moment. Whatever you got going on, your social media handles, if you got your own clothing line, if you got some other things going, plug yourself. By all means, plug yourself to my, uh, my I listeners. I don't have anything going on there, but I'll just shout out my mom and dad and, and my sister and my girlfriend. Yeah, so shout out them. All right, perfect. Thank you, Mac. Yep, see ya. It has been a while since we've had an XFL player make an appearance on the show. Having the opportunity to have Mac on and discussing his playing experience was important to me. I love sharing player stories. Being a punter who's had an interesting season, I am grateful to speak with him. It is not every day we get to talk with a punter, let alone one who is throwing touchdowns. As I have also previously mentioned, I will now be joined by contributor Mark Halbach to review the Week 10 games and preview the divisional championship matchups. Welcome back, Mark. It is hard to believe that the XFL has completed 10 weeks of football. I guess we've had way too much fun here. The anticipation or the worrying of who's going to get in and out, that has been removed as of this moment. So we'll get into all of the people that are let down a little bit, the people that are excited that their season still going on, and you know that little added drama in there as we're still trying to figure it out. I know I even tweeted a couple of things out sharing what some other people had crunched numbers and this and that. So I know it had a lot of people like a little irritated trying to figure it out, but hey, we'll get it all into that. So thank you for returning. So we can talk about week 10 and talk about these divisional championship games that are on the horizon. Well, Michael, it's always great to be back. And yeah, I mean, we made it through the regular season. Uh, XFL 2023 has completed their season. And uh, we, we're on to the playoffs. And Week 10 brought us some nice uh, playoff implication games, which is great because that's what you want as a league, right? You want it to come down to kind of those last games meaning something. So there's always going to be that debate on a playoff format, but this was the format that was chosen beforehand. And so this is kind of the cards that have been dealt, um, and every team knew them. 
And so at this time, some people might be disappointed. Some people may not be. But like I said, I, I think, um, you know, this was the format that they agreed on. And so we'll see how it works out in the playoffs because we're we're definitely looking forward to that. But week 10 definitely meant something. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to recapping these. So let's get to it. I cannot agree with you anymore on the stance that it's time to get off the high horse. Let's just accept what has already been predetermined and everyone knew what they had to accomplish. Right. As the season went on, they knew what they had to battle. So it is what it is. If your team didn't make it, you fault your team. You can't fault the structure. If you want to have a say in it, you don't think they're reading the social media channels in the threads and stuff. This is where you go join the XFL huddle where they ask you for your input. And this is the time to make sure you, they have it so they can make some tweaks. If there are enough fans to claim that this was a mistake, they're going to look at the fan base as a whole people. So without going down that too much, I just can't agree with you anymore. Everyone knew what was coming. It didn't matter. No, you're not going to change it in week eight because it didn't look like it was going to be right. Week nine, week 10, or heck, Let's just rethink about it now that the games are completed. And <laughs> now, no, it is, it is what it is, folks. So we're going to move right on here, starting off with Week 10's Game 1, the Orlando Guardians at the St. Louis Battlehawks, with the Battlehawks winning this one 53-28. to Coach Beck and company set an XFL single-game scoring record with this massive point total. So kudos to them. Yet giving up 28 points to the Guardians was a big problem. Kind of we're hearing about it in the broadcast. Even Coach Beck at halftime was saying, no more points. We do not allow the Guardians to score any more points. They had 20 at the time, and they let up another eight as the game had gone on. So it was a big problem for their playoff chances. We knew that all these tiebreakers not tiebreaker one not tiebreaker two but it went down to three four and five like this is how big this was and you and i had alluded to this a little bit last week talking about hey this is gonna get into the weeds the deep weeds and we knew that was gonna be but the crazy part about it is that we didn't know 100 percent. we had all these people doing math and i think this kind of just it's where the irritation kind of comes in a little bit but we'll get into that i'm not opposed to talking about individual performances here by players i'm not but i just believe it's more important to talk about the these items that impacted the battle hawks and securing that one remaining playoff spot in the north division so what are your thoughts if you want to dig into the numbers we'll get into it because it was a football game not to blow over but what are your thoughts on this finale at the battle dome well yeah this was you know the battle hawks did everything they could here you know like you said they may have given up just too many points there, but they really, really came out on the second half and blew this thing wide open. And, you know, AJ McCarron, you know, that shoulder's feeling better now uh, because he looked really good and he was on fire. If you can duplicate this type of performance, let's say he comes back next year or, you know, even gets his chance at the next level. If he can duplicate this performance, he was in the zone and it was impressive. And I, he put himself up there for MVP for sure. Oh, uh, he put himself in the conversation for sure with this performance, six touchdowns, 420 yards. I mean, that just doesn't come, but 
there's about a couple people though here. We're going to list some people that are going to get invites to NFL camps, whether they make the team or not. I don't know, but these guys are going to, and Hakeem Butler and Darius Shepard were unbelievable. But what really came down to here was there was a lot of explosive plays by the battle Hawks. They knew they had to put some points on. So they went downfield, put on some explosive plays. There were some good runs after the catches and, you know, the Guardians stuck around, you know, for I'd say about a quarter and a three quarters, maybe. And then it was it was just over by the time the, the second half came and it was about getting points on the board for the Battle Hawks. And then also Orlando rotated quarterbacks quite a bit. I think Coach Buckley did a good thing here. I I um Francois has been with the team the whole year. He's kind of been the one constant at that position for him. And he got he got an opportunity to play, and I think Coach Buckley wanted to give that to him because he earned it. And when you're a one-win team with no playoff implications, you know, you're going to do something like that, right? Um, you're going to put the senior in, right, that probably hasn't played all that much or in some of the college games and, you know, have them, you know, get in the stat books and do some things. So I was happy to see that. It's disappointing for for the Battlehawks, but at the same same time, they're what the XFL is all about. This town is what they're all about. That fan base is what this is all about. And you can't ask anything more from them, okay? And they did what they needed to do. Here's the thing. It comes down to division games, and that's why you have two divisions is to create rivals. Who are the Green Bay Packers without the Chicago Bears? You know, who are the Dallas Cowboys without that whole NFC East, right? You have to beat your rivals and you have to win division games. You got to do it in college football. You got to do it in pro football. You got to win conference games. They are so important. So them kind of having, you know, AJ probably not at 100% the last time they played Seattle, but they had an opportunity there to shut them out, you know, to get them at home and and to do that. So they did a great job this year. I'm really proud of that. When it comes to the Guardian side, I'll tell you what, Coach Buckley probably has learned so much this year. And I know we were hard on him at the beginning of the year. We didn't know if this team was the worst spring football team ever assembled, you know, but he kept trying and he kept doing new things, kept getting new players kept trying to improve and they did and and they were competitive right but when your problems are so big like i always say you're focused on fixing those big problems that a lot of little things go away and you can't focus on situational stuff but i give him credit i give him credit he went through the year and tried to make it and and they got better throughout the year you know the second half of this game they just ran into the buzzsaw of aj mccarron and the Battlehawks who were fighting for a playoff spot. The last three games, I thought, very competitive, played very hard. You know, so kudos to the Guardians. And I I hope that franchise can, you know, I know that you're a season ticket holder down there in Orlando, you know, can come on out and, you know, hopefully, you know, there'll be some more emphasis on marketing in the local markets during the offseason and get some people into that stadium. Because if Terrell Buckley's back next year, they're not, they're going to win a few more games. They are going to be competitive. I think he's learned so much. So 
great game to watch. It was fun, you know, trying to figure out all these playoff scenarios. You know, Battlehawks did what they could, but and AJ, like I said, put himself there. But it just at the end of the day, at the end of the weekend, it just wasn't enough. Yeah, I don't want to get into what turns into a postseason breakdown of each individual team here. I know that could be easy. I'm like, you know, I'm gonna I'll say the one thing is that I really anticipated a stronger defensive unit from the Guardians all year. Just looking at you know, Coach Buckley being a defensive player and another, you know, player as in, you know, Carter. I just thought that there was just going to be this, especially the secondary. I don't know why. I just thought, you know, these are going to bring this experience and be really focused. And we kept looking at the roster early on. They had that bunch of DBs. And I'm like, oh, man, they're they're going to be ready. One The one thing that's kind of been their kryptonite is everyone kept saying how they had a weak secondary. And this game lit that up right so it's all i can say without getting into too much on the guardians you don't throw for 420 yards you don't have butler catch it for over 160 yards you know they had no way to stop this offense this passing offense because they didn't even have brian hill brian hill was a a scratch there before kickoff uh due to some personal uh, matters they didn't get into what it was but just said due to personal matters so I hope all is well with Brian Hill, you know, and, and everything surrounding him. And I don't want to dwell on that too much, but they put up a performance without the second, what I believe, and I don't have the numbers in front of me, I didn't pull it up, but isn't he the second leading rusher in the league, Brian Hill? I, I mean, I, I, maybe you don't have the numbers in front of you either, but if I recall correctly, I believe going into this game, at least, he was the second leading rusher in the XFL. Going in, he may have been. Um, he wound up third, Abram Smith. Jackheads, Patrick, and then uh, Brian Hill. He had another big day. So, yeah. Yeah. Neither neither of these teams really got the running game going at all. The Battlehawks didn't want to. They wanted to fire the ball down, you know, and and score some points. But I thought, you know, both uh, Walker and, and Durant filled in nicely. I mean, they both averaged over four yards a carry. So, I mean, steady as it goes, but. The Battlehawks weren't interested in running the ball. They wanted to to score and score quickly. And once you're in a shootout, the running game kind of goes, you know, and, and it's kind of weird that kind of a lucky fluke, you know, fake punt, you know, throw up a prayer. And, um, you know, the, the Guardians had where, um, you know, Mac Brown throws it up and, um, you know, Jordan Thomas comes down with it, big Jordan Thomas, and and they score a touchdown off of that. How that could, you know, implicate, you know, that had playoff implications right there, you know. So it, you got to make sure that every play you're playing and everything you're aware of, because if that was kind of a fluke play, they made a, you know, Thomas made a great play on it and was able to make a great run on it as well. So before you get too far on that. Coach Beck should have challenged it for offensive pass interference. You know, I don't think he wins that, but he could have, you know, and and with it being such an important play that could have seriously impacted their chances. I think you had to, at that point, I'm not saying hundred percent. There's so many people on social media. They've been clamoring for OPI, OPI, OPI. I get it. There's a case. I don't know if we would have seen it much closer from Dean and company back in the command center. 
it might have given us a different look, but okay, there might have been something worth seeing it from a couple other angles. I just think he should have. I mean, I, I mean, at that point, what are you saving it for? That's you got to start taking points off the board now. That just put points on the board. That, that's where to me, that's where you use it. That's just my take. No, and, and that's a good take. I mean, he could have used it there. I mean, I don't think it was really offensive pass interference. He was just adjusting himself and hands and he there was a hand fighting going on by each team. I don't think an advantage was was given to him. Uh, the advantage he had is he knew where the ball was going and the other person didn't. So he was able to get to it where the other person just didn't know. But you're right. He could have used it there and possibly taken points off the board. I don't think it gets overturned. That's just my opinion. And, and from what I've seen from Dean all, all year long, that it, it just doesn't. The only thing that I've seen him kind of are those really obvious plays where the deep, you know, where def- it's defensive pass or defensive holding where you can really tell it, it's obvious. But I have an opinion about the challenge. I'm, I'm, I'm not a big fan of it, but again, it makes the game unique and, I think you need another year of it to kind of see how that plays out as well and how it impacts the game too. So, but yeah, I mean, unfortunately you go seven and three and, and you miss the playoffs, but you know what? You, you had a great season. You've established a great fan base. And um, as one of the coaches that came in without without college or NFL head coaching experience, coach Beck dessert, you know, he did a hell of a job. And um, so We'll see where that franchise is next year. We'll see who comes back. We'll move on to game two. D.C. defenders at the San Antonio Brahmas with the defenders winning 29 to 28. Aside from the points, forced and points allowed impacting those category league rankings, this game's outcome really didn't matter. To be fair, there's some team pride and obviously win bonuses. So it did matter to those playing the game. But I mean, as far as the big picture, just it was the PF and the PAs that was going to impact the playoff scenario outcome. That's all it was. You know, everything came down to those rankings. You know, we had a football game and it was another exciting football game to watch. Competitive throughout the game which ended with a heartbreaking Brahma's missed field goal. So how unfortunate for Parker Romo, who has had a fantastic season as a kicker. So it's unfortunate. Anyone that's trying to strive to get to the next level, it kind of, it's got to be something that takes the wind out of your sails to end the season on that note. And that wasn't really like a 50 or 60 yarder either. What was it? 30 something. If I remember correctly, around 38, 39 yards. I, I don't remember. Not we're gonna uh, split was, hairs. It on was it anyway. a fifty-three yarder. It was a long field goal. I mean, yeah, it was fifty-three yards. I remember it being a little longer because I felt leaving this game that they could have gotten a few more yards out of this. I think they mismanaged the clock in their last time out a little bit, and they could have got uh, gotten a little closer. I, I don't remember the specifics on that, but yeah, fifty-three yarders. No, you know, at the end of the game to win it. It's a lot of pressure, you know, and then they ice you, you know, rightfully so. So, I mean, but yeah, I mean, Parker, he's still, he'll still wind up in some, he'll get some tryouts and he'll wind up in an NFL camp and we'll see what happens with him. But he had a great year, great year. Looking also at the, we had discussed about the possibility, do you sit, do you not sit? 
the defenders did not sit Tamu or Smith, which makes this even more of an interesting outing for me. Jack Cohn had another fantastic game, throwing for another game of over 300 yards. And no turnovers. Didn't have any touchdowns, but he had no turnovers. I mean, so that's also looking for those building blocks if you go into year two, right? And then not to get too far on the a preview for next season. But he didn't make any mistakes to hinder his team. Maybe just needed a little bit more help with some guys maybe breaking for something, you know, for some yardage or something. But it doesn't matter. The reality is this was a great game, competitive right to the very end. And the reason why I say this is something that also makes this outcome a little bit more interesting is the defenders look as if they're beatable by more and more teams as it's coming down the stretch. So, I, I mean, I know they're, they finished the season 9-1, have the home field advantage going into the Northern Divisional Championship game, but it just... I'm going to give the floor here to you, but I just, I had to get that out. It's like, it just, the Brahmas haven't been a good team. Just something just doesn't quite add up here. And I know they're managing some guys, but it's not like De'Ara King played a ton of snaps. Kind of looking at this, I'll let you add a floor. What are your thoughts? Well, like you, I, I, I was surprised that, you know, Jordan um, and Abram Smith played as much as they did and really went out there and played hard too. I mean, Jordan had another good game, solid outing, had had one, you know, turnover that that seemed to, you know, impact it a little bit here. But, you know, the Brahmas, again, uh, this came down to explosive plays, okay? And the defenders had explosive plays. I mean, you had Chris Blair with a, you know, 70-yard play, a 52-yard play by Lucky Johnson, a 25-yard play by Josh Hamill. You know, so they were picking up chunks of yardage on San Antonio. Typically, you know, San Antonio will give that stuff up until you get to the red zone. And then you have a really good running, you know, red zone team because you have running quarterbacks, you have receivers and and people who can, and tight ends that can catch the ball. And, and they're really, you know, the defenders are just really good at scoring in the red zone, right? And then also getting their conversions. Again, with having a running quarterback, it seems to be the two point conversion seems to be the one that teams want. And because you're probably, I bet you were 40, 50% on those as we're going right now. And you get a little bit more room to work, right? Throwing a fade from the one yard lines. It's a little easier to throw it from the five or, you know, come up with something else. If you throw in one fade and it hasn't worked, I mean, don't throw another one unless you're really good and you know, you have a matchup there. Not a huge fade person. There's other ways to get that person that ball in that corner too, you know. But that's what it came down to. And then it came down to Brahma's. They had to. They did have a missed field goal early on too, as well. That kind of hurt them. You know, at first you thought DC was going to run away with this one a little bit, but they, you know, Jack Cohen kept them in there. But again, they're pushing the ball down the field a little bit better and moving it inside the twenties. So there's again a, another example of a a team that had so many issues offensively that they had to focus on the big issues. And now they got, they finally got the big issues figured out where they can move the ball in between the red zones. Right. But then they get to the red zone and it's like, Whoa, (laughs) because that's a different offense. There's a reason people call it the red zone, right? 
it's a different, you have special place for it. You have, you know, certain things that you're looking to do when you're in the red zone or getting to the red zone and you have to practice those. And then you got to constantly practice from every situation, you know, every situation in there throughout the week. But if you're just trying to figure out your base offense and move the ball, you're just trying, you know, trying to do that. So I feel like they figured that out. Jack Cohn, you know, again, I considered him a rookie quarterback, just like Drew Plitt this year, right? He played college football in 2022, went to an NFL camp, and then came here. I heard on a different show that somebody felt that Jack Cohn really didn't develop. Right away said, I disagree. I feel like he has developed, and a couple of the games sitting out actually has helped him, you know, develop and probably say, hey, I can't have bad games in professional. There's going to be somebody behind me. And unfortunately, the Brahmas went through some quarterback issues with Reed Sinit, you know, and then Kurt Benhart, you know, so they went through some of those during the course of the year as well. But they just couldn't punch it in and and to have a chance at the end there, you know, is all you can ask. And unfortunately, the ball just didn't bounce their way then. And, you know, so they're, they're definitely on the outside looking in. And just another a team that's going to, you know, get better. A franchise is probably going to get better, you know, because again, they had a head coach that didn't have experience and you got, you learn a lot when you don't have it and <laughs> you got to start implementing some things the next year in a hurry. And, and hopefully that takes over, but I give the Brahmas a lot of credit because they they've been playing hard these last few weeks and just have been missing out on, you know, by a couple of points each game. and. You know, it's a play here and there, and they'd be, you know, probably in the playoffs, you know. So the defenders, I'm not too worried about them. Uh, They're going to give up some points, but they can score it in a hurry. They've got so much talent on this team. They kind of developed it. I know we talk about some of the guys that came from the NFL. I mean, Lucky Jackson has turned into a playmaker. I like Ethan Wolf. I like as a tight end. They got another tight end, too. Just you know, playing really well and they played really well all year. <laughs> so they just, you know, ran out of time on in one game and by one, they're going to be hard to beat. Obviously they're the front runners. And if Jordan plays as well as he has the last few weeks, the defenders will be just fine. You know, San Antonio, they were not eliminated going into this game, were they? So I thought I misspoke when I first said coming in. So I have to take a moment as I was listening to you a little bit. And, you know, I was listening, but I was also like, you know what? I missed the obvious that, yeah, they were still in it. They needed to win this game. So it wasn't just another exciting game and points scored and points allowed that were going to impact rankings. Uh, They were in it. And that's also another heartbreaker for this team to miss this close game against a solid team. They were in it. And I mean, you know, looking at Patrick's, I believe it was at 41 yards. He had two uh, rushing touchdowns. I said he had a good game and it is a good game. When you look at the XFL and how it's a shortened game and quicker, well, rushing is not typically going to be a focus. So getting 40, 50 yards, you know, Hill will typically get around that 60 yard mark. That's what you're looking for typically out of your rushing back. Not everyone's Avery Smith. So that is a good game, especially having two rushing touchdowns. He single-handedly provided offensive production and scoring because the passing game did not really put forth touchdowns. So 
I just wanted to put it out there. I know if somebody goes down the stat line, they're going to be like, hey, what are you talking about? It's not cricket. But in this league, 40 yards and two rushing touchdowns, that's a solid performance in my mind. And anyone else can, is welcome to have their own opinion. But I just I want to make sure I corrected myself when I said, hey, it really didn't have any implications beyond the points forced and allowed. And I'm like, well, you know what? I have to acknowledge that that was a little bit of a slip on me, but they did, they were in, and it was a heartbreaker that they lost in that fashion. So. Yeah. As the, as the season kind of goes on the, you know, they realized that the passing game was a little bit more important than the running game. Right. And unless you're the defenders and you have quarterbacks that can run. Right. So that being said, I, I just, I kind of looked this up here as you were talking as well. And talking about conversions, it looks like, um, you know, the defender scored three touchdowns and converted five points on conversion. So two two-pointers and a one-point conversion. And the Brahmas did just as well, but they had one two-point conversion that wasn't good. So, I mean, those conversions and those points, I know it seems like it's just after the touchdown, right, and stuff, are so important right now. And missed field goals are important early on in the game. You know, getting some of those points early on is important. So you have to capitalize on those types of things. And right now, D.C. is. And to me, they're clicking on all cylinders. They can win any type of game you put them in, whether it's a shootout, whether it's a grind-out game, uh, whether it's a bad weather game. I think they've, they're have they built right now for for playoff football uh, with their running game. But, um, you know, we'll, we'll see. I mean, they, they're going to face a, a very big passing attack, and, and we'll see how that, that plays out as we go here. We'll move on to Game 3. Houston Roughnecks at the Arlington Renegades with the Roughnecks winning 25-9. to Paul McDonald got the start in most of the snaps, but we also got to see Caleb Elby run the offense. For me... This raises a few more questions going into the divisional championship, but we can get to that a little bit later. Again, let's not get the cart ahead of the horse here. Another old farm saying, sorry, folks, I, I can't you know, take the kid off the farm, but not the farm out of the kid, even if I'm a 43-year-old man. doesn't matter. Anyway, <laughs> but, but what I was most shocked about was a performance by Jeremy Cox, who had 120 yards rushing on 21 carries and a touchdown. Because when you look at it, no Borgie, no Bryson Eileen. Jeremy Cox was the guy. So in so many ways, I have a lot of questions. Like I said, we can get into a little bit later. They came out with a different quarterback, another focal point running back. We know that they don't have Kirkland and company and got to figure some things out. The passing game, which has been their bread and butter all season long, wasn't really their bread and butter this game. I mean, depending how you look at it, because even – McDonald did some rushing. Well, I think we had 60-something. But it, you just look at it. It was a different type of game going against a pretty solid defense. We've been saying that about the Renegades all season long. So, I mean, I'm just a little bit more intrigued. So what stood out to you? Well, a few things. The first thing is is, is this, was a, this was the snoozer of the week. Okay, if you were going to take a nap, take a nap during this one. Okay. I know I'm joking and all, but <laughs> I can't get the time back in my life that I spent watching this game. And that's 
my truthful opinion of it, I think it was one of the the worst games the, the XFL had all year. Brandon Silvers obviously is nicked up. Okay, so they were like, hey, let's rest him. I would have started him, maybe threw a couple of passes, make sure his arms warm up, make him go through warm up, things like that. But they may have also said, well, if he's nicked up and can't go, we got to make sure Cole, we know what we're doing with Cole here. So basically, I was surprised too that their running game was able to kind of get through the front seven of the Renegades because I've I've given the Renegades credit for their defensive front seven has been outstanding all year. So for what they did there, and and they're probably, you know, they're resting the running backs as well, right? And they just wanted to run the ball. I mean, both these teams are running their base offense, not showing anything. You know, if they had anything planned or schemed up for each other, uh, that's going to be next week that they're going to use that. They don't want to use it this week. So watching Houston, it was good to see Cole be able to run the offense a little bit more and get him involved in the running game. Because guess what? If he's in, you can't just have him back there slinging the ball. He's not Brandon. You have to run a little bit different of an offense. So that's what they did. And and he was able to pick up, you know, I mean, he had an eight yard average, you know, running the ball. I mean, that's what you're going to do when Cole McDonald's in the game, right? You're going to run what you do with Jordan Tamu. I mean, that's what should be done. Now, Brandon's playing, you're you're going to throw the ball a little bit more. You're going to run your base runs and and you're, you may run with him just to trick people, you know, one play <laughs> or something. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens come the playoff game. But I think they were like, hey, if plan B has to be, you know, implemented in the playoff game, let's make sure plan B is ready to go. And that's kind of what they did. When it comes to the Renegades offense, I don't know if you saw the sequence before half. That summed up the whole epitome of the Renegades offense this year. It was a complete shit show and it was embarrassing. And Stoops knew it. And that has, I, I just can't believe it. Week 10, you're there. I know you're on your fourth quarterback, but your veteran coaches in a vet, you know, like get these guys ready. Lu, Luis is doing everything he can to try and hang everything on. The difference here was, again, once the Renegades, you know, they move the ball up and down the field real nice, and then they're kicking field goals. They're not scoring any touchdowns. Okay. That happened at the one yard line. I mean, come on. Like, you got to score touchdowns in this league to win. The early games where everybody's struggling offensively and winning 12 to nine are over. So I'm sad that I have to watch another week of the Arlington Renegades offense. That's the one thing I'm sad about this week. And I just don't know. Houston, I know we're not previewing, but Houston needs to win this game, the playoff game. You can't have a four and six team in a championship game. That'd be awful. So wouldn't Houston, they be five and six at that point? Well, they'd be five and six, but four and six in the regular season. But come on, <laughs> with, with, the with, with, you know, I, I just, I'm, I'm sorry. The, the Renegades just, it just didn't work. It, it's just not working. It's not working. You got to do something else, and they got to figure that out. And you know, they'll figure it out over the offseason. They're going to need a different quarterback. So, I mean, Troy Aikman was out there, so maybe he'll come back. Uh, he was at the game. Maybe he, they can talk him into suiting up because, I mean, he's going to do just as good as any of these other guys right now. I mean, 
they need to figure that out and they need to figure out an offense. I mean, it was just, it was bad. And, and just, they got no receivers. Nobody can make a play on the outside. I mean, you're just double teeling Canela. That's it. So unfortunately this game, I'm a little down on, I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't mean to be <laughs> a downer, but if you were going to miss one, <laughs> be glad you missed this one because it was just plain. Nobody was running anything special. Nobody was doing anything because they don't want to show their hand for next week. You know, they were both in at this time. So unfortunately I, you know, I, I kind of was hoping Arlington would win. So then they were what five and five then at least. And, and we would have, you know, at least a 500 record going into the playoffs, but they couldn't do that. They're, they're not going to be able to do it. So I, I don't have hope for them really coming this week either. So, but I mean, we can just blow by this game. I don't even want to talk about it anymore. <laughs> I have bad. I have bad news for you, Mark. We're gonna to have to talk about this matchup here shortly again. So, and, and that's to, fine. We didn't mean to preview. We do have to preview it. So uh, let's just roll on to game four, so you can get a break and clear your head for you to come back to it. Let's go to game four: the Vegas Vipers at the Seattle Sea Dragons. With the Sea Dragons winning this twenty-eight to nine. Going into this game, everyone was crunching the numbers, as, as I mentioned. With everybody, no matter if it's Maddie Fresh, no matter if I'm getting blown up in my inboxes by people, and I even thought this one guy had it pretty good. So hey, I threw it out there. You know, everyone's just looking at some numbers, but I didn't crunch the numbers. It looked it looked like he did a pretty good job. So I'm like, hey, let's share this. Let's, maybe somebody's got it right. So they're providing their results, their thoughts, and what. It would take for the Battlehawks and the Seahawks to claim their remaining playoff spot. Heck, the broadcast crew didn't seem to really know what it would take. I mean, they kept repeating 34 points, whether it was 34 or more, can't score more than 34 for the Vipers, 34, 34, 34. I know I'm sounding like a broken record, but I'm sounding like, and I'm not trying to bag on you know, Tom Luganbill or anybody, they're only going off the information that's presented to them. It's not really to be bad. So it wasn't until the second half that they moved away from the 34 talking point and focused on their new catchphrase of, if this score line stands, Seattle is in. I don't know how many times I heard that. So it went from 34 to, if this score line stands, Seattle is in. It's like, we didn't know 100%. What was the the threshold? What was it? It clearly wasn't 34. I know I'm on my soapbox here, people. But I mean, I think this is kind of what added to this little bit of like, what's going on here? Everyone knows me. I'm a supporter of the XFL. I typically tend to say positive things about the league. However, looking at these playoff scenarios unfold and the lack of information, and more importantly, the knowledge of transparency just seemed to aggravate fans. And really drummed up the talking point of this is a bad look for the league. It is stupid having a four and six team in the playoffs, blah, blah, blah. Right. It just kind of added to that dumping on the league. Whether you're a fan of the league, you know, more so the Battlehawk fans. I mean, I can't believe a seven to three team's not in. I know we haven't even talked about the football here. I'm I'm on a rant, if you will. But this was this game, right? That really drove this home. Now, I know there's a bunch of scenarios tied to it, but this is the broadcast of the game, and throughout the game is all was the talking point. So, I know we got some football to talk about. I'm just going to turn it over to you. 
Well, let's talk about that for a moment or two. <laughs> Obviously, the XFL and ESPN, we didn't talk <laughs> during the week. <laughs> like, come on. People want it to be simple. Okay, so that's all they had to do was lay out a simple scenario. And that's where the 34, I think, came. But that was incorrect. And and you found that on Twitter. Like, you knew it was incorrect when everybody was kind of tweeting that. And I was just like, okay, I'll just, when the game's over, I'll find out who's in. Okay, I just know Seattle needs to win. Here's the thing. We don't have that suspense or that impact of a game or the score of the game if you had two division winners and two wild cards. The playoffs would have been set before this game. It would This would have been a meaningless game. So again, having those divisions impacts all the way to week 10, having it to be the two. And I think that's what people want. They don't want meaningless games. But what they want is they don't want to have to be Sheldon Cooper to figure out who's going to the playoffs. Okay, and if you don't know who Sheldon Cooper is, he's the character on Big Bang Theory. Right. And he's a physicist or, you know, goodwill hunting or beautiful mind, whatever you want to call it. We just wanted simple numbers. So that's what ESPN tried to give us, but they were incorrect. So it was a little hard. And like you said, they changed their tune at halftime. Somebody went and said, hey, guys, that's not right. <laughs> you know, so these scenarios were kind of crazy. And it's not too often you're going to get to the fifth tiebreaker. It's not that often you're going to get there. So if you think this is going to happen year after year, probably not going to happen year after year. Okay. You're going to get to the first or second tiebreaker and that's about it. So again, do you want meaningful games at the end of the year or do you want the playoffs set by week eight? You know, because that's, that could be the downside of being the wild card as well. And that's why you played, you know, some division games you know, later in the year, right? That's why you want like week nine to be division games uh, so that it's got a big impact. So it's just kind of the way it went, you know, the North obviously stronger than the South when it comes to that. So anyways, we just want it simplified. I think people just wanted it. Hey, they have to win by 15 or a point differential of, you know, just something simple. I'm just making up numbers. So don't, don't correct me on it. But anyways, Seattle's in <laughs> and when we talk about the game, <laughs> talk about a slow start, you know, Seattle for a while there, I didn't think they were going to score any points in the first half. And then they just got it going. I mean, Josh Gordon went off. Danucci went off. Danucci's got to, he's got to focus a little bit more. He's starting to throw off his back foot a lot, but you know what, when it's unscripted and he gets outside the pocket, he can run and he can make plays, you know, when it's, when it's off script. So he is, by far done a great job this year uh, of developing into somebody that can be a star in this league. Now he had his turnovers, but if you remember me saying this uh, last week in the preview, I told you Jalen McClendon for the Vipers would come back down because he had to face the Seattle Dragons defense. And again, that defense came to play. That defense is so underrated right now. I just feel like, you know, the offenses are getting all the talk, right? And Greg Williams, when it comes to a defense coordinator. But the Seattle Sea Dragons defense are playing lights out. They made life very difficult for Jalen McClendon. And, and you can see that. I told you he was going to come back down to earth, and he, and he did. 
One of the things I'd like to throw out there here real quick, Seattle ran the ball for an average really well. So when you're gaining sometimes seven, eight yards an average, you don't have to run as much because they're worried about it, right? You know, everybody kind of played a role here and I like how they spread the ball around. It could be one one week it's it's Blake Jackson, the next week it's Josh Gordon, the next week it's it's Traquan Pearson, you know. And then I have a feeling in the playoff game it's going to be Philip Lindsay. They're going to go to that running game, and and somebody's out of the backfield is just going to have a monster game. So they've just got so many weapons, and you know Josh Gordon shows why he's Josh Gordon on some of these body control catches. The one on the sideline was unbelievable, and I know he had the fumble. But that was a heck of a catch, and he just didn't get the ball tucked away quick enough before the defender kind of knocked it out. But they played solid. They can they can score within you know on a play and in any play, and that makes them very dangerous. And I think their defense, you know, is a championship defense. This is going to be a hell of a game coming up. Now, when it comes to the Vipers, I think they found their quarterback of the future. I think McClendon will see a camp or two, or get a couple tryouts and throw some balls around. I think seeing a camp would be great because he's got a strong enough arm to, you know, kind of make all the throws. I think that would help him a little bit, but they just didn't have much. And then, you know, Matthew Sexton had a really nice game and the poor kid. And we're going to talk about this too. Obviously Sexton's going to run in and, and, you know, he, he kind of raises the ball up. Everybody does it. Okay. I can't stand it as a coach, uh, but you know what? These guys are professionals. They, they know what they're doing. It, it was kind of weird because he glanced over his left shoulder and never knew the guy was on his right. He saw the guy over to his left, but he never, he didn't know there was a second guy even chasing him in um, good hustle by them. So now we got to talk about another innovative rule. Do we like the fumble out of the back of the end zone to go where the spot of the fumble is? Or do we like the NFL rule where it goes and turns it over and goes back the other way? Because don't you feel that that hustle play should have been the Seattle's ball and not the Vipers ball at the one because the guy hustled and made the play, right? He made a play and it just happened to go out of bounds. So There was a lot of like, well, why are they doing that? And Dean did a great job of saying, hey, this is not the NFL or college. This is an event. We took this from the fans and yep, and input, and they didn't like that rule. So we're trying it this way. So I don't know, Michael, what's your take on it? Do do you like it? Do you not like it? Uh, Because to me, it should have been Seattle's ball, but I knew there was something coming up that was different. I knew it was going to be something up. I think it should go back to at least the 20 yard line <laughs> and be the offenses and not just where the fumble was, but that's just me, you know, just kind of spitballing ideas here a little bit, but what, what's your take on that? It, you're not going to win this argument, right? There's always going to be people that think either way. So listen, I, I'm not even going to try to win the argument. It doesn't matter. Personal there's, opinion, there's, just No, right. There's no way to play it safe. You're going you're yeah. to lose the argument, right? Somebody's going to hate it. Somebody's going to love it. I like the offense keeping the ball. Now, I know the defense busted their hump, and the offensive guy was a little carefree, so it's kind of tough to you know, reward the offensive guy that's showboating, if you will, because I'm not a big showboater. So it, it, this kind of sounds hypocritical of myself, as I've always said, take the emotional of that game, just play smart, you know, do what you got to do. 
but at the same time, it's not like it's a safety on the offense, right? So, I mean, like, it's not like the defense somehow had recovered the ball and rolled out. You know, it's not, I'm just saying, I guess you wouldn't have recovered if you rolled, but I'm just saying it's not like it was in some way where technically the defense did get the ball back. You know, so I, I have a hard time with that just going to the defense in that case. Because the offense didn't do enough to lose it, in my opinion. The defense didn't do enough to actually take it and get that possession. So in that way, I mean, this is how I'm just trying to justify my thought. And it keeps something right in the red zone. And and the fringe of the red zone, it keeps it like, okay, if you want it that bad, you want to stop the guy, you don't stop him within the five on the two or the three. You know, yeah, you busted your hump to get there, but that you practically let it happen anyway. Any other time, I'm just saying, if it wouldn't have been a fumble, this is what I'm just starting to think of. If you would have just tackled the guy at the two or at the one, you didn't do enough. You give up the big play regardless. So I'm, I get that you're busting your hump and you still stop the touchdown, but you didn't stop what's inevitable, which is going to be points on the board. Whether it's going to be the touchdown, whether it's going to be a field goal. So when I'm looking at that, don't reward the defense for not actually taking care of business sooner. That's just how I'm taking it. And if you want points, if you want exciting, let's not just give it to the defense stuck on the, uh, you know, on their one yard line or two yard line. That, so that's just, again, I'm going to have some people probably crucify me for this, but it just, it is what it is. I've doubled down on my take and shared a couple of reasons why. So now tear me apart, Mark. You might not well, like well, it. Well, <laughs> no, no, I, I just, you know, I think um, I'm so used to the rule. I mean, just, just because, I've always been one of those people who know the rules, right? Like it's kind of because there are some interesting rules sometimes, right? In the game of football. So this was interesting. And I'm just glad that, you know, Dean got on and said, this isn't the NFL or college guys. This is the XFL. And we took this from you. So I knew something was coming because I was just like, wait a minute, hold on a second. I think they changed that. Now I'm just so used to it being the other way around. And sometimes that's the luck of the, the, the bounce of the ball. Um, and it's been that rule for long time in football. So I'm just maybe a little old school there, you know, I mean, but I'm not old school when it comes to the pitch clock. Okay. okay. <laughs> well, for a purist of the game, right. If you've been around, whether it's coaching, playing it, whatever people that are a little bit more entrenched in into tradition. I can see this being a difficult thing. Like, well, that ain't right. That ain't right. That ain't right. But we have to also acknowledge that football has kind of been on, you know, some tweaking here as of late. And people are just saying the game needs to modernize, and which we've seen really with a passing game and stuff anyway. So we have to be a little bit more open-minded. I'm not saying that every rule the XFL has has been correct. I think it has definitely given us a new version of football. And that's why sometimes – I think there's some people just not necessarily a fan of the league because it just doesn't feel, it feels in their words, gimmicky. You know, So I understand that. And I, I'm not trying to take anything away from that. But I also think that there's something to be said with speeding up the game and, and all these other innovations where people's attention spans have shifted. So, I mean, this is a not necessarily speeding up the game type of rule. But I also think that, like you said, they listened. And he even said, this is what the fans wanted. So we're giving it to them. Doesn't mean it comes back in season two. Very true. Very true. Good be fair because being able to see it in a game and, you know, and how it played out, it's now going to give people to actually something to think about. Okay. Well, now we saw it. Now was that right? Cause it's one thing right. you might say it without seeing it. And that's, 
you know, a lot of times you have to see it in gameplay and impacting well, not the outcome because the Vipers weren't really in this to win it, but I'm just you get what I'm right. Saying. But it, it it impacted it. It's just like the challenge rule, right? You know, and how that is impacting games a little bit now as well. So, like I said, I'm I'm not a big fan of that one just because of the end of the game. You know, hey, somebody's holding. Well, of course, somebody's holding. It's football, right? I mean, <laughs> Every play, <laughs> you know. So yeah, I just uh I just thought uh you know that was an interesting part of the game. Okay, it wasn't the most interesting part of the game, but it was it was interesting. You know, I thought Seattle did a great job on their conversions as well. Again, they've got the two-point conversion pretty, you know, pretty much down them and so going into the playoffs that should help them out. Well, I think we'll move on from dissecting additional numbers or maybe other plays in the game. We'll look ahead to this weekend's matchups. We only have two. Beginning with Saturday's South Division Championship, the four and six Arlington Renegades at the seven and three Houston Roughnecks. This game is scheduled for 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time and will broadcast on ESPN2, ESPN Plus, and ESPN Deportes. We've seen this matchup twice, we've seen a sweep. With their Roughnecks just essentially owning the Renegades. We'll just share with our listeners the score lines, the previous score lines. So they are as follows. They played each other in week two with an outcome of 23 to 14. And also this past week, the snooze fest that Mark was referring to, the week 10s, 25 to 9. If you kind of look at them, they're somewhat similar outcomes. Should we anticipate a 24 to 12 result in favor of the Roughnecks this weekend? I'm just going off averages. Yeah, I think so. The Roughnecks don't give Arlington any points. You know, that means Arlington scoring on special teams or defense. I don't think they even see the end zone. So, you know, they'll just be kicking field goals again. I mean, I I just think that's what it's going to come down to. So, Really, I think Houston only needs like 14 to 18 points to win this one out. Now, it's going to be interesting to see what happens at back for Houston. I think if I'm Wade Phillips, I'm playing both. And I'm doing Cole McDonald things when Cole McDonald's in, and I'm doing Brandon Silver things when Brandon Silvers is in. And I'm going to see who's hot, and that's who I'm rolling with. Or if they're both hot, keep switching them off. Keep, keep Arlington off guard a little bit there. Because if... Houston can run the ball like they did against this uh, front seven of Arlington uh, as they did in week 10. I don't think Arlington has a chance because they're not explosive enough on on offense to score. You know, they're not going to score from 40 yards out, 50 yards out, and they're not going to get the the explosive plays to get downfield quickly to score. So I, I just think that Houston... I think they win it easily, but I think it's a grinded out game, kind of like we just saw a little bit. Uh, hopefully, a little bit more exciting because it's a playoff game and you're going to a championship. So there'll be that added excitement to it. But Arlington, like I mentioned, offense, like I don't think against Houston's defense, they can do anything. Like I just, they haven't shown that they can. I know that they weren't running really a great, you know, offense, but like I said, their their offense has just been trash all we all year and it's going to be trash in the playoffs. You are you are who you are in the playoffs, okay? There's no hiding 
who you are in the playoffs. So for the good health and growth of the XFL, I hope Houston wins and wins big just so that we can have a winning record from the South be their their championship representative. So with two different quarterbacks being at the helm in two different games, this it's kind of tough for the Renegades to really know what they're, they're up against. They don't know. Silver's earlier in the year. McDonald now two totally different games they've had to play against them as far as how the offense came at them. That's very difficult for Arlington to prepare for, in my opinion. The only thing I can see is a po- slight possibility, the only thing that could potentially help them in their favor. And this sounds somewhat absurd because I agree with you. You are who you are. You don't just change overnight. But what if somehow what has been their kryptonite is getting down there on the one, the two right there and never punching it in and just stopping and kicking the field goal. What if all of a sudden Stoops and Hayes get together and be like, listen, we're done with that. We're going for it. Fourth down, no matter what. We go for it because we know the field goals have not got us to where we need to. We need to win. And the field goals are not going to be enough for us to do it. When we're this close, we have to take the touchdown. We don't get it. We're going to live and die by it. Is there any way that Coach Stoops and Coach Hayes finally say, listen, the conservative approach is off. We're now got to get in the championship. This is what it was all about. Is that the only thing that can push them into, if they get the touchdown, it's just enough to start changing things. I, I'm just just throwing it out there. I, I got to play devil's advocate here to kind of see: Do we ha- can we have a game? Can there be enough? Stop with what you know you got here, but you got in by the skin of your teeth and by the luck of some other people really being just worse than you were. So, I've had it. Yeah, I would think that that situation would have to come up when there's really not a result. You don't know the result of it. So like it's zero, zero, they're at the one yard line and they're going to go for it. Right. Not, well, they're down by seven. They're at the one yard line. They're going to go for it. I mean, so are they going to change that mindset there? They may, but here's the thing that doesn't fix their execution. Right. <laughs> and, and honestly, you know, they should be, <laughs> when it comes to the execution of their offense, they should be all for it. Long-time joke by the old Tampa Bay coach, right? I don't know if anybody picked that up, but execution, right? Different word play. But anyways, it doesn't change that part, (laughs) and they're terrible at it. So now you score a touchdown, so now you scored three more points than you would have, but you're not going to make the conversion because you stink. You're going to go for one probably and and do the shine (laughs) instead of going for two like everybody else does. Because you don't know what to do after a touchdown because you haven't scored many of them. Honestly, I don't think that changes. You know, if they get in, if they if they wind up there again and have to kick a field goal, well, you got to do it. They had to do it this week because of the situation, the clock, right? I mean, you're going into half and you want to take points into the half, right? Or take the points you can get. But early on, if they get into that range and stall again and and and, and kick a field, I have a feeling they'll want points. Like they, the, you know, they'll think that that's good enough. Instead of, you know, uh, I don't even know what the line is on this, but I'm I'm going to think it's going to be over eight or nine points, probably, maybe even 10. And 
being a 10 point underdog, you got to take chances, right? So, I mean, Jonathan Hayes hasn't been able to draw up a regular pass play, but maybe they got a double pass play that Chuck Long's bringing in or Luis Perez drew up, you know, because um, Jonathan Hayes can't draw a passing play to save his ass. <laughs> and I know I'm being hard on him, but it's been bad. It's just been terrible. We've been waiting for it to improve and throwing different quarterbacks in there, but it's just been terrible. And that just means it's it's either personnel or it's coaching or it's a little bit of both. You know, maybe they do that. Maybe they fake a punt. Maybe they fake the field goal instead. Just put your special teams unit out there at the one-yard line and have them score a touchdown because you're off and, you know, maybe. But I just don't see that from Stoops because, I mean, you know, at Oklahoma, you're, you're winning by 30 points, 27 points. You're not used to having to grind out games like in professional football, you know, and that's what you got to do here. And um, I don't think the extra down helps them because they're just, they're so bad. I don't think that equals out anything. It's not like the defenders getting an extra down at the one yard line. Cause you know, they're going to score. They got it. They, they're going to call the right play and they're either Tamu King Smith, you know, lucky wolf. Right. I mean, you know, they've got too many weapons down there. So, um, an extra down for them is way different than an extra down for Arlington. So I'll stop with the back in Arlington, but it's just been uh, very interesting to to watch or uninteresting, one of the ways. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to, before we move on here to the North Divisional Championship, I know a lot of people know the claim and believe that this is a bad look. You obviously don't care to watch the renegades anymore but i i'm gonna say what i'm gonna say and i'm not even saying i wholeheartedly believe it i said early in the season that this team had enough talent to compete for a championship and somehow somehow they're in it so i'm gonna pray i'm gonna cross my fingers and hope that my pick for the south to make it to the championship game comes true I don't believe it's going to happen, but I'm going to pray across my fingers that somehow they figure out just to get into the championship game. So at least I could get something right this year because <laughs> Vegas ruined it for me on the other side, folks. I, I So just I'm going to hold true. I'm going to just say, you know what, Stoops, if you have to just hand the play calling duties over to somebody else, please just do it. Please just do not- it. shake it up. Just shake it up. Give me a chance. Just when you're on on the one or the two as a fourth down, just come on, have some faith that now Luis Perez is going to figure something out for you. No, just listen. That's all I'm going to say. I I know I'm kind of begging. I'm going on a little thing, but I'm like, I'm praying for you to watch another game of the Renegades offense. (laughs) I'm sorry. Please don't. don't. Yeah, there's two things that need to happen, right? The the Renegades got to figure something out on offense, which means that Luis Perez has got to go off. I mean, off like unbelievable. We're talking AJ McCarron level. We're talking Ben DiNucci level and you're not going to do that against Houston's defense. I'm sorry. It's just not going to happen. They're too good. A little help from the defense, maybe a pick six, you know, they might get one and that's how they'll score their touchdown. And that's how they'll keep it close. But that's, that's it. I mean, that's how it ends with them. They don't score over 10 points unless the defense scores. So, uh, so yeah. I can see if the Renegades pull this out somehow, 
that you refuse to come back and talk to me. I, next I week. may never talk, talk XFL football again. If they, <laughs> if they watch them come out and just sling the ball all over the place and 500 yards passing and make me look like a fool, but you know what? You are, you are what you are at this point in time. It doesn't change. And you know, they just, Houston's too good too. They got two guys that can beat them and you know, Arlington beats themselves sometimes. So, I mean, it, it just, yeah, go rough next. <laughs> we'll move on. Lastly, we have Sunday's North division championship, the seven and three Seattle sea dragons at the nine and one DC defenders. This game is scheduled for 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time and will broadcast on ESPN, ESPN Plus, and ESPN Deportes. I am just plugging them because I'm trying to help with their ratings. They're in a battle now. They're going head-to-head with another league, so people don't miss out on these knockout games. Again, another regular season sweep, but in favor for the defenders, obviously, who are 9-1. and And we'll take a look at their previous score lines. They met up in week one with the defenders be winning 22 to 18 and in week eight with a scoreline of 34 to 33. Neither outings were blowouts. Heck, the most recent one was a battle. Looking at this particular matchup, I think we got a good game. I know and some people are going to say this is probably the championship game. What do you think we're going to see in this one? Well, yeah, I mean, this is, I mean, what was it? Five points that combined that DC beat them by in two games. This should be a good game. This is what the XFL playoffs should be. And you get this in other leagues too. You get good playoffs and good playoff series. And then you get, you know, kind of some, some ones that aren't, but this should be a lot because both these teams can score. They can score fast. They can score in different ways. I'm predicting that Lindsay goes off here or the running game goes off a little bit for Seattle just because they may, um, you may see Greg Williams play the pass a little bit more, play a little less man to man and bring less people, which means, Hey, there's going to be less people in the box, but each team has the ability to, okay. If Josh Gordon's not having a good day, well, here's Pearson, you know, and if, uh, Abram Smith's not having a good day. Well, you know, Lucky Jackson's there. They all have playmakers everywhere. And I think you're going to see a lot of good plays. And I think you're going to see a back and forth battle. And and it's going to come down to, it'll come down to the little things, right? It's going to come down to turnovers. It's going to come down to conversions. And really, it's going to come down to, can you score off of turnovers? Seattle's defense getting better every week and maybe it's who they're playing, but they are just getting better every week. And I think the defenders defense has kind of leveled off a little bit. I think people have figured them out a little bit more, but again, this past week, they're probably resting some people, right. And not playing as many reps as they, you know, usually do because, you know, could have been right. And I don't have play numbers for, for the players or anything like that, but that's just me thinking like a coach and what I would do. But yeah, this should be fireworks. And really, it's going to come down to the quarterbacks and and who protects the ball and who has kind of the bigger game, right? Now, they both might have huge games and this might be a shootout. And I can't see this game being like a 12 to 6 game. 
I just can't. These offenses are well-oiled machines right now. The the quarterbacks know who the playmakers are, who they can throw up to when they're covered. And the receivers are starting to get a feel for, like, if if my quarterback's scrambling, this is what I need to do. Danucci's showing that he can go off script quite a bit. So I think you're going to see a lot of that. And I think you're going to see a great game. I think these are, I mean, Seattle was rated as one of the better teams coming in and they lost some early games and they've gotten hot lately. And like I always say, it's good to be hot. Now, really, D.C. has been hot all year, and they can win close games. They've shown that they've got that situational football down to win close games at the end of the game and sneak points out you know, before the end of a half or do the little things that are right to win those close games. So this could come down to also, you know, watch the conversions. I would watch conversions. They're both going to go for two a lot because I think teams are having a lot of success with that. And it could come down to a last second field goal, which hopefully the kickers are ready. So should be a great atmosphere there. These are two good football teams, and this should be really, really a good playoff game. So this is what I find interesting. If you dive into the two games they played this season, in week one, Abram Smith only had 28 rushing yards. I know it's week one, and a lot of teams were coming out of a very small camp and teams were still kind of figuring themselves out, right? Offenses are behind a little bit, as, as you have typically have said. But even coming, you know, to week eight, when they just most recently played, he was in the 60. Now, in the 60s, I don't have the exact one. But uh, that's what we say you should expect. But the Abram Smith that we first picture is this guy that's just dominating. He hasn't really done it. So I'm curious, has he rested enough here? I believe it was the last game there against the Brahmins. He only rushed 10 times or something like that. Did he rest his legs enough to give it a go? I mean, I'm just going to be curious as to what this approach is going to be. Because we know everyone's got fireworks, right? Damu later in the season was looking better. Okay, maybe, you know, this last game didn't go off. But the reality is he's been looking better, kind of that 2020 version of himself. But if we can get that 2020 version with that crazy Abram Smith version, I think that's when DC would be unstoppable. But again, if he's not, that's where they're susceptible, right? They may have won both outings this year. That doesn't, you know, that's fine. But this other offense has got too many pieces, like you said. Gordon, Jacor Pearson, and you know we still haven't seen Lindsey 100%. I know we keep bringing that name up, but it's hard not to bring up a former All-Pro in the National Football League, and now that he's got a couple more weeks in this league, and he's got some fresh legs, you would assume. So I'm just saying, like, hey, I'm not trying to pick it one way or the other. I'm just saying, what can we see? Can we see something like is there are the running backs rested enough to kind of come come at each other or is it that maybe Abram Smith and company just can't rush on this defense it's as we've constantly discussed it's underrated I think you're right there I think Seattle's better on defense than what we think they focus on definitely stopping the big plays from Abram and they say Jordan you're going to beat us okay and you know Jordan goes and does that then (laughs) you know so 
he's going to be, you know, obviously, like I said, quarterbacks are going to be a big focal point of this. And, and Jordan can do it both with his arm and his legs. So if, if it's not working with Abram running the ball, a lot of times there's a lot of wide open stuff for Jordan to run the ball or to play action off of. And DC knows that and has that built into their offense. So they've been able to score on them and, and do that. So I think Abram's, you know, I don't think he's, you know, worn down. I, I think a 10 game season, I don't think you, you can get really worn down, but you do kind of, you know, if there is a tank, you know, it might be three quarters full or, you know, two thirds full. And whereas Lindsay's just getting his legs under him, right? I just feel like they haven't utilized that yet. And if Greg Williams decides to just back off, right, and say, hey, we're going to keep everything in front of us, you're going to have to march down the field, they may give the ball to, to Lindsay more. And, you know, June Jones is, I get it, they throw the ball to set up the run. But if he knows he can get big chunks, and I'm talking like 15, 20-yard chunks out of Lindsay every once in a while, he's going to run those plays. So it's going to be interesting to see. But, yeah, I mean, I think between the combination of, like, Jordan and Abram Smith, I think just them running the ball, one or the other is going to have – usually has the game, right? And – this last week, maybe they didn't just because of the fact that they were getting rested a little bit more instead. So, so I don't, I don't think it's going to have too much of an impact. I think both of them will play well. I don't think Abram Smith's going to have 150 yards rushing or 100 yards rushing. I think he'll have 60, 70 to keep everybody honest. And Jordan will have 60, 70, and you know they'll keep that defense honest. And and then you know obviously with the play action and the types of plays that the defenders draw up. They score points. I just think this is going to be a really good game. I think these are the better, you know, out of the four teams in the playoffs, these are the best two teams. Whoever wins this to will be the favorite in the XFL championship game. But I'm looking forward to this one. <laughs> and I think DC deserves it a little bit more. But at the same time, Danucci's hot. Seattle's defense has, has played so well that I feel like they're the difference maker and, and they have been, and they're just not getting talked about and maybe they are, and I'm not listening, but I just think their defense has played so well over the last, you know, half of the season and gotten better that they can stop that. So I, I'm, I'm going to, this is going to be, you know, who's got the ball last and can you make a field goal at the end of the game? And can you make your conversions to keep it close? So that's going to be, you know, I'm, I'm not really picking anybody in this one because it is a toss up like you wouldn't believe. So I have already put myself out there that I thought that the, that I had to really root and try to will one way or another from some divine power to get the renegades in there. And I don't really have that in this case. When I picked the Vipers. That's not possible. But my gut tells me. Seattle's going to win this one. I don't have too much going on statistics and whatnot. I, my gut tells me something about Seattle just seems right. If I had to pick, I'm going to go with my gut on this one. This is not trying to pray or will something into existence. I'm just going to go on my gut. I, I have a feeling that Seattle doesn't matter if you got three losses. It doesn't matter if DC only has one loss. I just, there's been some close games with DC. I think, the fact that this has been close and 
like anything in sports, I think if you beat somebody multiple times, it's not always easy to get. It's not always a sweep all season long, even though I think it's more likely that the Roughnecks will do that with the Renegades. I don't think that's going to be the case here. So I, I would have to say Seattle would be facing off what I hope to be the Renegades, but I think likely will be the Roughnecks. Well, I also think a couple of things. I think people think like, hey, DC's kind of earned this. They went eight, they went nine and one. Uh, DC's learned how to win those close games. Okay. So I think that's what pulls this out for them a little bit. But again, if Seattle wins, I feel content that either one of these teams will do great in the championship game and can win the championship and deserve to win a championship that I'm content with whoever goes, you know what I mean? And I think that's the feeling I have. Whereas in the other game, I don't feel, you know, Arlington just got very lucky this year, you know? And they just, they haven't played good football and they just got lucky. So I'd rather see them just get knocked out so that we can see the better team play and have a better championship game. So I think I'm can maybe like a lot of people feel like either Seattle or DC, we just want to see a really good game an exciting game. And we want to see our, the playmakers make some plays and, and show out. And then, you know, whoever wins, go on and do the same thing in in the championship game because we feel like both of them kind of deserve this, right? I mean, some people are saying, you know, maybe Seattle doesn't because of the whole tiebreaker thing. But anyways, I would feel the same way if the Battlehawks were in it. You know, it, I'd feel like if it was DC and the Battlehawks, I think I would feel the same way. Both of them could go on and, and play a great championship game and win a championship. But right now... I know we talk about regular season records, but I'm telling you, everybody, all the coaches are saying, guys, everybody's. It's a new season. Overall, it's a new game now. And it doesn't matter what the record is. And you just got to go out and play. And people will play with that mentality that, hey, it doesn't matter what their record was. So so we'll see. I mean, this is this is going to be a good weekend. I think it'll be a good weekend for the the XFL when it comes to um showcasing their championship game then in a few weeks well that concludes another week of reviews previews and as always i has been my pleasure to sit here and discuss these with you even though i'm kind of wishing some agony on you to watch the renegades offense a little bit more or just team in general so thank you for coming on and just previewing the divisional championship games which just seemed like it was so far out right and just we didn't think we'd see this 2020 was a rough year and for multiple reasons not just for the loss of xfl you know but for just people's lives and those that we've lost because of the pandemic and whatnot but it's just it's nice now to be here the regular season's over you know that monkey's off our back so to speak it's one more hurdle that we've gotten over and here we are and we're actually talking about Teams playing the playoffs, we know they're going to be played, and just in a few short weeks, we'll have a you know a new crowned XFL champion, and that's going to be tough for those guys like Tom Luganville that keep talking about. There's only one XFL ring out there, and I, I had him on previously, and he's talked about how proud he is of having the only you know his team being the only team to ever win an XFL championship. Well, I think that changes this year, Tom. I'm sorry, and uh, you're going to be one of two. 
And at some point, somebody's going to do it. It's exciting and not to kind of ramble on. So thank you for being a part of this journey as we get to see more XFL action and fulfill those, uh, those needs that these spring football fans. Absolutely. And, and I think, you know, just to kind of add on to, to what you mentioned there, you know, the next few weeks is going to be, you know, I think after the, the championship game, we're all going to take a deep breath and be like, okay, season one is over. We, we know that we're going to have a season two. We've been told we're going to have a season two. And it's going to be interesting then to see what the league does for their next steps, because this is a long-term project and I'd hate the, you know, all the haters out there and all the people out there who think that just because there's only 12,000 fans in the stadium right now, or they're averaging 16, you know, that that's the demise of this league. They didn't even, I feel like they didn't even try putting butts in the stands this year. And they they kind of took what 2020 did a little bit. And, you know, St. Louis bought into it. DC's bought into it. And now they're going to start to kind of move towards that direction. Because the important thing was, and, I, and I'm going to say this, if you ever start a business, right, your product or your service has to be spot on. Before people buy it, they focused on the play this year. And and this is probably for another show too, Michael, but they focused on getting a, a good product on the field, something that would be exciting, competitive, some names out there like AJ McCarron and Danucci and, and, you know, even the, even Bob Stoops and Wade Phillips and, you know, the coaches and, and things like that. So, they wanted to make sure that they got a good product out on the field. And at the end of the season here, we've had some great football. Okay. We had some good football at the beginning and then it really started to take off because everybody kind of started getting into flow. So it's important to have a product first. And I feel like they did that. So people aren't going to buy it right away. A lot of people don't even know about it. So I tell the X of, you know, if I got to say it to the XFL community, it's one block at a time, one house at a time. If I can tell one person about the XFL this week and they go, yeah, I'll check it out, you know, or yeah, yeah, you know, flip through the channels once, see what you think. That's all we got to do. And um, that'll help them a little bit, a little bit. And I feel like you asking me to be on the show has, has helped me do that a little bit more. So thank you for that. And I just want everybody to, you know, be patient. There doesn't need to be 30,000 people for spring football to work in the, in the stands. There, there probably needs to be, you know, 15 to 20 and some TV rights. And you're starting to see some other people pique their interest, right? We, Troy Aikman, you know, was at the game and, you know, they, they talked to him and they'll talk to other people that come to those games as well, giving opportunities to some people that are players already to also do some interviewing and, and commentary. So, I think that they'll they'll be able to execute their plan, right? It's a long-term plan. So keep at it, I guess, is is what I want to tell everybody who's kind of, you know, putting this content out and talking to people block by block, house by house, and 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 it'll get built. So hopefully um we get some good games this weekend. And I think people will get peaked a little bit because it, it is the playoffs a little bit more. 
And then they got two weeks to promote the championship game. So, <laughs> and for bodies to heal up. So hopefully that'll, that'll be a great game as well. So looking forward to it. I mean, after all, that's why we follow the league. That's why, you know, somebody like me created the show and why somebody like you was willing to come on and participate. Not just once, not twice, but multiple times. So it's uh, something that I'm definitely looking forward to. I know you're looking forward to it. And I know that multiple other people as well. So thank you again. Why don't you throw your handle out there one more time? You might get another follower or two out of it. So we're at Twitter uh, or on Twitter. Excuse me. See, I don't even know the terminology. Shows my age a little bit here. So on Twitter, uh, at Mark underscore Hallbach. That's H-A-L-B-A-C-H. Um, if I watch the games live this week, which I'm going to try to, um, I may try and actually tweet out some things as we go. So I can't promise I'm going to do that, but I might. So, you know, give me a follow and, and maybe you'll, you'll get some stuff, my opinions and things like that during the course of the game. You know, I'm not going to do any live thing or anything, but you know, I may tweet here and there. Um, if I can get sit down and watch those games live, which I'm going to try and do this weekend. So. All right. Perfect. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Michael. You have a great week. You as well. Week in and week out, Mark and I have coordinated our schedules to review and preview games. It is hard to believe the 2023 regular season has come to a close. It is an exciting time for the league and its fans as we enter the playoffs. This has been a long time coming. And to the fans who have remained loyal and stuck through the drawn-out process, thank you. We have weathered the first storm. Now let's enjoy the playoffs and upcoming championship game. As I have also previously mentioned, I will now be joined by ESPN analyst Tom Luganbill to discuss the 2023 regular season and more. Welcome back, Tom. I appreciate you returning to the show to discuss the 2023 XFL regular season and maybe a little bit more. <laughs> well, that's just fine. I love it, man. Good to be back. You know, during our last or during your last appearance, uh, we discussed your ties to each of the XFL iterations and the magnitude of the topics pertaining to the league, you know, up to that point. This time we'll just focus on 2023 because, uh, you know, you just finished up your regular season travels. Yeah. And I, I understand you still have the postseason ahead of you, but, you know, that's a much shorter season now. So hopefully we'll, we can dive into some of these things. But going into the season, many folks were high on like Arlington Renegades and the Vegas Vipers. Now that the regular season has concluded and the Renegades have a four and six record and the Vipers finished two and eight, these teams uh, didn't quite live up to expectations. But to be fair, the Renegades found a way into the playoffs and still have their chance to win the entire thing. But it doesn't look likely. Let's be fair. I mean, their offense just sure. for whatever reason doesn't look to be clicking the way that we expected all of these veterans to come in. And they've obviously had that carousel of quarterbacks and maybe Luis yeah. Perez can help sure that up. We'll have to see. But as someone who is connected to the game, the league, and obviously does this for a living, what teams and players didn't quite live up to your expectations this season? I thought Martavius Bryant was relatively disappointing. Didn't play to the, certainly to the level of his ability which was frustrating. And I think it was frustrating for Rod Woodson and, and, and the staff. You know, it's interesting what we found out, and, and this was true in 1.0 and, and 2.0, is the decisions that you make at quarterback are just so critical. 
I mean, they're just so critical and it has to be the right fit. You got to know exactly what you want, exactly what you're looking for. Like DC is a, is a prime example. DC knew going in that they were going to run what I call a college offense, right? They're going to have quarterback run, zone read. They're going to have RPO. They're going to run quarterback counter, quarterback lead. They're going to have a heavy run game, um, a lot of motion and shifts in the whole nine yards. So what do they do? They go out and they get three athletes at quarterback, right? Jordan Tomo, Derek King, and Eric Dungy. All three guys can throw it. All three guys can run it. So if they were to have an injury or something, you don't change the offense. You just plug the guy, the next guy in because that's what you drafted him for. They did a really good job of that. And so I don't know if I would say outside of Martavius Bryant, I think Josh Gordon started really slow and then really, really came on because offensively they're a juggernaut right now. I mean, even with the mistakes they make and the risks that Ben DiNucci takes with the football, they got weapons across the board. And it's not just Josh Gordon. And that's why Josh Gordon has gotten – better and gotten open more and been a more of a viable target because you got to worry about Jordan VC and you got to worry about Blake Jackson. And uh, I mean, they got a wealth of Jacor Pearson. They got guys. So, um, but I, I don't, you know, there were, I didn't expect Paxton Lynch to play well. So that wasn't a dis- disappointment. I think we kind of know what he is. I think Quentin Dormady has some real upside in this league to become a really good player for somebody. He just needs to play more, but he showed a lot of real flashes. But as with all of what I call supplemental leagues, spring leagues, whatever we want to call them, everybody had the same problem. And that is, how do you put together an offensive line that can function each and every week? That's the challenge because there's not enough of them out there. I don't care if it's high school football recruiting for college or if it's the NFL draft. If you see a great player in the offensive line, he's going to be, he's going to be near the top of the rankings. And he's going fast. Well, there's not a lot of them. And in in a league like the XFL, it took a while. It took four to five weeks before you started to see these offenses start to kind of get into rhythm. So you kind of just jumped into my second question, which is perfect because you segued in and forked me. I was going to say on the flip side of this coin, you know, which teams and which players impressed or shocked you the most, but by bringing up Quentin Dormady, he would be my shock, even though after week one with my contributor that comes on the show weekly and we talk about it, I was clamoring for Quentin Dormady before that drama of a situation came about. Mm-hmm. And then it looked like his career might have been done. Like just to think about the adversity of that moment for him, for that team, and for when the league decided to intervene itself and do its investigation and reinstate him. For Coach Buckley and that staff to essentially hand him the keys to the offense mm-hmm. that quick, like totally he's vindicated. We're going to move on from this. That moment, I mean, it, you know, it's so back and forth because, wow, it just looked like he was done completely because that yeah. could have just ruined him as a player. No NFL team, maybe USFL team would want to touch somebody if that were to be true. But then being sure. vindicated and totally getting the opportunity and then delivering. I think is the most shocking player situation team. And yeah, they only won one game, but looking at it, like they became a competitive team at that point. Yeah. They shot themselves in the foot. I just kind of curious to dive into that a little bit more. And I'm not trying to get you to to put yourself out there too far, but I'm like, what are your thoughts? I mean, is that the most shocking, the most like 
that was a quick turnaround to start seeing him throw up 300 yard games and multiple touch. I mean, it just, it got, you can't write a better story. Can you? No, I mean, it's, you talk about vindication because if there's like the last thing you'd ever want to be accused of in sports is that right. Right. I mean, trade, trade secrets. I mean, I mean, look at the poor guy. If the league doesn't step in and they don't do their due diligence, you could Google Quentin Dormady for the rest of his life. That would be the first thing that would pop up for the rest of his life. No matter what, he could go on and become a billionaire and create a space rock if it goes into orbit. That's not what would come up if you Googled him. And so to me, I, I think it's also a reflection of how well liked he was by his teammates because how do you get accepted back into the locker room? Right. Right. Um, you know, I mean, you have to be completely and totally cleared and vindicated and there has to be a discussion. And I actually, you know, we had the game between Orlando and DC where he accounted for six touchdowns and handed DC their only loss. And we asked T buck about it. And it was like, you know, how, how has he reintegrated into the team? He goes, it was like, he hadn't even left. Uh, it all got cleared up and it's if nothing ever happened and and we're moving forward. And that's pretty much exactly, you know, what they did. And, you, you know, you mentioned something about Orlando that's intriguing because it Orlando didn't lose games because they did a bad job in preparation in the draft or they they didn't have good players. OK, that roster is actually pretty talented. There's some good players on that roster. Their problem is they can't get out of their own way. I mean, if it wasn't a penalty, it was a turnover. If it wasn't a turnover, it was a kicking game snafu. And in droves, like in droves. And on that one night that they played D.C., that was the first game all year long that D.C. actually did what the rest of the teams in the league had done. That night, D.C. turned the ball over multiple multiple times, missed a 26-yard field goal, had double-digit penalties. On that day, they did everything Orlando had done every single week, and Orlando didn't do it. And guess what? Orlando won. But for whatever reason, Orlando could not find a way to carry that over and apply it to each and every week. You kind of got a sense, because I actually had them the following week against Arlington. So they get that win, and now, of course, you know, in their mind, they turn the corner, right? They're right there, and and they're past all that, and and, and they go right out against Arlington and revert right back to all of it and lose and had no business losing to Arlington either of the times they played. And so it was a frustrating year for Orlando, but it was, and I'm serious when I say this, that if they can get their errors corrected, that's not a bad team. They just were a sloppy team. They had good players. Let's also take a look at them making the move for play calling, giving it to Shane Matthews. I kind of wondered, was Dormady always Matthew's guy? Was he always right. clamoring for that too? And I mean, obviously, I don't know. I'm not saying that you know, but it kind of sure. seemed like, okay, Matthews is getting the, starting to call all the plays. Dormady's in there and things are just clicking. There could just have been a chemistry between the two and they just were more like-minded. You know, for whatever reason, we keep talking about people being coachable and whatnot. And maybe it just clicked there. Yeah, it's not just a skill set, but that also probably also helped them turn that corner and become more competitive. Not, even though they still shot themselves in the foot here and there throughout the rest of the season. Yeah, you know, I'm 
I wonder sometimes in, in these types of scenarios, when you have a guy like Paxton Lynch, who was a former first rounder, has been in the National Football League, and then you've got DeAndre Francois, and then you've, you, you've got Quinn. And you kind of go in, and, and it's, it's hard not to do it, right? You kind of go into training camp with this notion that, well, this guy's going to be the guy. And you sometimes can get caught up in neglecting what's happening day in and day out in practice. And, so, and, and you may not want to admit, well, wait a minute, this other guy's better than this guy. And, but you can't convince yourself of it, right? Because you haven't seen him play, and we've seen Paxton Lynch play. So then you go into the season and you say, okay, well, this is what we're going to do. This We're, we're going to play with this guy. But if you didn't know anything about Paxton Lynch and didn't know his background, and you just took all three of those guys and put him in training camp, would he have come out as their starter? I bet you there's a pretty good chance he wouldn't have, right? And so there is validity to your point that now, now Shane Matthews as a quarterback's coach, even though he wasn't the offensive coordinator, would have had a very strong, strong voice in the room as to who's going to be the starting quarterback. But may not, maybe wouldn't have had the final word, which is going to be up to the head coach. But it's been my experience, and we did this with Tommy Maddox and Scott Milanovic in 2001. Because back then, if you remember in 2001, we had what we called territorial schools. And so you had certain schools in whatever your area was that if there were players that you wanted from those schools, they got pulled out of the draft pool and assigned to your team. And it, it was really a good idea because – it, trying to create buzz and fan viewership and interest because there would be names that they would know. So <laughs> we go and we pull UCLA is one of our schools. Cause obviously we're in Los Angeles. So we pull Tommy out of there. We worked him out. We really liked him. We did our research on his background. We pull him out, but we take Scott Milanovic with the first overall pick of the draft. So we're sitting there with both of those guys and Scott had just come out of NFL Europe and he'd been in, in at Tampa for three or four years. And Tommy was playing in the Arena Football League, had been removed from his, his NFL career. But we just put him in there and said, okay, uh, we don't know the names on your jerseys. We only know what number you're wearing. Go. And we're going to chart it. We're going to chart everything we do, every catch, every drop, every miss, every miss at the line of scrimmage. If you're setting a protection, everything's going to be charted. So it's going to be objective, and this is how we're going to decide who's going to be the guy. But I don't know if that's necessarily the case in Orlando. I don't know if that's what, what they chose to do. But it was very, very clear that Quentin Dormady, not just from a passing perspective, but athletically, was clearly the best bet. And I think that they had gotten to the point where Paxton Lynch is what he is. They're, they weren't going to change it. it. He wasn't going to get better. Um, you were just going to have more of the same, and they couldn't keep going down that path. I know everyone always focuses on quarterbacks, which the last time you appeared on the show, you're even talking about how important that the quarterback position is. You either have a quarterback and you're going to be successful and you, or you won't be because you don't yeah. have one. Right. It's that simple. So, <laughs> I know it, it seems like we're beating a dead horse. when we talk about quarterbacks, quarterbacks and their play and how it impacted the game. But in the end, they're the one that touches the ball on every play, unless you're running the wildcat. Right. So, I mean, mm -hmm. you're going to take the snap, you hand it off, pass it, whatever, making, Audibles, what, whatever it is, but you got to make the decision on your check downs, whatever. So looking at all these other teams, yeah, DC kind of ran a two-headed operation, but not really because mm -hmm. Tom was really the quarterback. Oh, he's their guy. Yeah, he's their guy. Yeah. A little bit. But so there's your best team, nine and one. You kind of look down on the South Division where Houston's the best team at seven and three. 
yeah, Silvers was the guy until it looked like he was a little dinged up. But then there's this little Cole McDonald experiment, and it seems like Silvers might still be a little dinged up. But yet they're still kind of interested in what McDonald could do going into playoffs, which, okay, it seems like a bad time to have any doubts. Uh, Maybe the injury is a little bit more severe than we anticipate, so let's give him a little bit of benefit of the doubt. But when you now start looking, Arlington in the South, that's been a mess, a carousel. Yeah, beyond measures where they're even trading people, releasing people. Who would have thought Kyle Slaughter would have been released? I'm not saying production-wise he was looking great. Yeah, but like, why would you just give him up and let him go to the competing league where he thrived? Mm-hmm. But it just you look at a couple of things and trade for Luis Perez, which then kind of if you go back to his team, look there they had three different starting quarterbacks with Perez oh, yeah. and Hunley, and then obviously McClendon actually Hunley, look yeah. pretty good now. But let's not lose sight. We go over to yeah, all right, Seattle. One quarterback. Essentially, if you kind of look over to St. Louis, one quarterback. Injury aside, right? So, I mean, the teams that really did well for the most part knew who their quarterback was. I mean, we can argue, you know, in a couple cases. But the teams that didn't quite have it figured out, we look at, obviously, Orlando. Took them a little while to figure out who their quarterback was. They struggled. Vegas struggled. Arlington struggled. San Antonio. Antonio, the, the biggest carousel of them all, in luck of the draw with injuries, yeah. too. Yeah. I mean, you just kind of you look at these and you're like, eh, it is that important. And that's why we do beat that horse yeah. over and over again. I mean, is there, you know, any insight into what you think with going into Houston here before we get into the preview and too much? Is there what you think really might be happening there with that quarterback situation? Is it really more injury or is it really Cole McDonald is really got, you know, Wade Phillips and company? interested in having more of a dual threat yeah I, I think it's both and I and I you know I, I see I think St. Louis has two quarterbacks I think Nick Tiano is a really good player in fact I think Nick Tiano is going to be a guy that other teams in the league will inquire about getting the rights to in a trade with with, with St. Louis I think Cole McDonald is the same way I think that he's going to be a, an attractive commodity you know we talked about DC a little bit but you know having had Houston a few times the athleticism of Cole McDonald does make a difference because he can keep plays alive. He's he's not one dimensional. And Brandon Silvers is a really, really good player, but that's not what he's going to do. You know, he's got to get the ball out of his hand, move the sticks and go. If things aren't perfect for Cole McDonald, he can extend and create and, you know, maybe make some plays downfield, you know, after the fact. And so I, I just think they like it and that they want to have both guys. They, I think it was really smart for them to play him a lot these last three to four weeks for this moment coming up and 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 potentially a championship game uh, appearance. But yeah, I mean, I, I feel strongly that the the teams that were good at quarterback, it's 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 interesting, but they made good choices on more than one guy. You know, I mean, that to me is really important because eventually somebody's going to. You, you're going to end up doing well from a draft perspective if you're willing to trade one of those guys and upgrade somewhere else, you know, within your roster because you did a good job evaluating that position. And here's what's going to happen, man. As this league continues to unfold and it gets bigger and it moves forward and there's more exposure and it gets entrenched and you're going to start seeing quarterbacks that wouldn't have considered the XFL prior to this season that two years from now we'll, we'll sign in the XFL instead of signing an NFL futures contract. You watch. So the play and the caliber of play of the quarterback is going to get better. And there are going to be more of them to choose from. 
And so I, I think it's, it's a really good problem to have, but again, you have to do such a good job of like, of evaluating everything about that guy. I mean, it's just so much like, I, I remember like we had heard all the, you know, the things about Tommy Maddox and he was a bust and he was this and that. And I'm like, wait a minute, let's, let's go back and look at this. He left school as a redshirt sophomore, which in the early nineties, nobody did that. Nobody. Right. We were only six, seven years removed from having like David Fulcher and Herschel Walker leave early as juniors. That never happened. He was a redshirt sophomore. And then he happens to get drafted by freaking Denver. Well, John Elway has even yet to win the Super Bowls yet. So, you know, I define a bust a little bit differently than, than other people do. I think if you've played and you've been given multiple opportunities and you're not getting it done, okay, then you can be labeled a bust. That never happened for him. And he loved the game so much that he decided to go get his butt kicked in the Arena Football League just because he wanted to play, right? Well, that that told us something about him, right? That, that revealed something to us. So, like, I, I think these teams that if you really do, you can't just go into the draft and say, oh, well, that guy's played a little bit or that guy was good in college and say, well, we're going to take that guy. You're going to fail. You're going to fail big time. So let's change gears here a little bit and we'll look into the whole those playoff scenarios, right? Despite everyone's mm-hmm. beliefs on the criteria of determining the playoff berths, we have the Arlington Renegades at the Houston Roughnecks in the South Divisional Championship. And we also have the Seattle Sea Dragons at the DC Defenders for the North Divisional Championship. Looking at these teams who did secure a spot in the playoffs, the teams were led by head coaches who had previous experience and their teams still competing in the XFL championship or for it, shall I say, whereas the rookie head coaches teams are at home and will be spectators for the playoffs and the championship game. How much of the blame, right? We're going to use that term loosely because there's, I just have a lack of a better term. (laughs) Should we place on those first time head coaches? And is this something the league needs to revisit and reevaluate in the offseason before they kick off their 2024 season? Well, I'll say this. I think coaching and playing are two different things. It's an entirely different animal. And I think sometimes when you are such an elite level player, it can be hard to be a coach because for what was so easy for you may not be very easy for somebody else. And I thought Anthony Beck, who, by the way, had limited coaching experience, but had gotten into the coaching profession really with the AAF in San Diego, but did a heck of a job building his roster, putting together a coaching staff. I mean, he he did a really, really, really good job. And they finished seven and three. He said something to me that he thought was that I thought was really interesting. He said, when I when I hired and put together the staff, I gave I, I essentially I gave them one mandate. And that is that you coach these guys, all right, as if they aren't you, all right? So I don't care what you were able to do. I don't care how many Pro Bowls you made. I don't care uh, how much money you made playing 15 years in the NFL. These guys aren't you. We have to coach and get the maximum we can out of these guys, but we can't ask them to be something that they're not. And I think that's really, really smart. And it's a great approach. And, you know, he had guys like, you know, Leroy Glover, 
You had guys like, um, oh, whoa, what's his name? His son's a receiver. Um, Roll. Roll. Yeah. Okay. So, like, these these guys are all pros, you know, and and so and and, and I'm not and I'm not saying that that Rod or Tebok or Hines or, or or you know that that they didn't take the same approach. I'm not saying that. I I just have the, the conversation that I had had that kind of struck me with with Anthony Beck. I thought was really really important because he's right now. I think where this is just me as first time head coach or you become a, you were a great player and you decide to get into the coaching ranks and you didn't come up in the coaching ranks. What I mean, that's like, you didn't start off being a GA in college. You didn't start off being a quality control professional football. You didn't work your way up the ranks. You just boom, landed it. I think that those guys have a harder time with player evaluation and player personnel and putting stock in how critical that part is to the overall health of your franchise. Whereas we can talk all the X's and O's we want, right? But T-Buck for all of his gifts and Rod Woodson for all of his gifts and Hines for his Hall of Fame career, they don't have any eligibility left. They're not out there doing it, right? So at the end of the day, you better have darn good players, like really good players. And the more players you have, the better you're going to look as a coach. And I think if you, if they probably step back, I would imagine a lot of those guys might reevaluate how they approach the off season of player evaluation going forward and the guys they take and the decisions that they make and the guys that they want to take. And again, hindsight's 2020 and you're going to, everybody looks at their roster differently, but you got to take stock as well. But I, I do, I think coaching is a different animal than playing and it's, it does matter. Like I'll be, I'll be very forthright. Like Arlington, for example, I thought Arlington did a really good job on the defensive side of the football and personnel on the offensive side of the football. I thought they were the slowest team in the league in terms of offensive skill. They didn't have any way of making plays. They had no, they had, they had Sal Canella and that was it. I mean, there was no way for them to line. Like when they broke the huddle, nobody said, Hey, where's this guy? We got to find this guy. Whereas when Seattle breaks the huddle, they got three, you better find. You know, when Hakeem Butler breaks the huddle, you better find him. When John Trey Kirkland hadn't gotten hurt and was playing for Houston, you darn well knew where he was at. And so I think the, the, all of the teams to some degree will go back to the drawing board and, and reevaluate their approach and see if they can improve it. Do you think we, do, we see the same coaches back for 2024? Yeah, it- I do. I, I do. I, I, I think so. And listen, does that mean there aren't going to be some hard conversations that are going to be had? Yeah, there probably are going to be. And I don't, what I'm not privy to is I'm not privy to the hiring practices. Like, I don't know if, you know, head coaches were, were told, hey, here's a pool of coaches we'd like for you to choose from, or if they were given carte blanche to just go out and hire who they wanted. I don't know how that worked. And, you know, I, I know this as if I'm going to be the head coach and I'm going to be involved, directly involved in personnel and my name's going to be on it and the record's going to go next to my name, then I better have 100% autonomy on who's going to be involved in the selection process. Yeah, it just it seems like somebody like Anthony Beck, although it's been one year, and I know I kind of just painted the picture a little bit darker than it probably should have been because Anthony Beck obviously was 7-3. It just came down to, what, the fifth tiebreaker or whatever 
to determine who's (laughs) going to get that spot because the the records match. So he didn't have a bad year, but and I know with only one year of head coaching experience, does that all of a sudden put, you know, him in conversation everywhere, college football, does it put him in, I can't imagine the NFL. I think those things are already short up, but do people start to look at him for something else? And that's why I was just kind of, I don't know if you're hearing anything elsewhere where Beck might have done more than enough to be like, Hey, this is a diamond in the rough type of head coach or somebody that really has a future. Maybe it's somebody with, it's got some deeper pockets that's not involved yeah. in another startup might be willing to pay. And, but Beck just seems like a grounded guy where, he's building something and he wants to do it. And, you know, I saw his emotion in that press conference after the game. And yeah. you can just kind of see, you know, when they realized they're just on the outside, but I also see how the players, you know, react to him. You know, when the AJ McCarron eventually commenting and stuff, it just, yeah. it, it seems like he's the guy they need to keep moving forward. And it's the perfect guy for their golden child of a, you know, team franchise for the, you know, lack of a better term in St. Louis. Uh, so, I mean, is there any possibility we could see somebody come in looking to throw him some cash and offer him another opportunity? Or do you just think, yeah, that it's just too late right now. And it might be another year down the road. Yeah. I, I, you know, as a head coach, maybe not yet, potentially as an assistant position coach, you know, cause he went from being the tight ends coach to a head coach. He didn't have that running the offense, running the defense, coaching a position or running the kicking game, so on and so forth. So maybe from a positional standpoint, I don't think there's any question. I'll say one thing about him, man. That dude is organized. I mean, they were detail-oriented. They knew exactly who they were, what they wanted to be, uh, how they were going to get there. He had a, he had a, a fantastic plan, and he deserves a, a ton of credit for it. I will say this, and I'm going to say it about Reggie Barlow, too, because that guy's a fine, fine football coach, and his players love him. But it's interesting because I think both Anthony – and let's just say, let's just say Reggie Barlow. You look at the state of college football right now. Do you want to go back into that? Like, do you want to deal with recruiting and the transfer portal and name, image, and likeness and rules and being on the road? Like, that's not overly enviable now. That's what you're going to start seeing. Really started about a year ago. You're going to see a lot of really good, very young coaches that have bright, bright futures that ordinarily would be coaching college football all jump to professional football. And I'm not just talking the NFL. They're going to go get opportunities in the XFL. All right. They're going to go find ways to avoid that route because college football is such a mess right now in terms of doing the actual job. The game itself is magnificent, of course. But what it takes day to day, because I think – Let's just hypothetically look forward here. What if Neil Brown at West Virginia struggles again this fall? And that job comes open. And now you've got a guy like Anthony Beck, who's an alum, just had a very successful year as a head coach. And that thing were to come his way. He's got a tough decision to make. Yeah, right? talking at the heartstrings, yeah. Yeah, big time. And you know, like, you're going to tell me that Reggie Barlow wouldn't be a huge attraction to a power five or a group of five school. And he's one at the HBCU level. He's now one in professional football. He has a playing and coaching background. I mean, I'd come knocking on that door. I, if, if I was looking for a guy. So I, I do think that, you know, it, 
listen, if you succeed as a coach and you're winning and you're continually showing consistent performance, they're going to find you. I mean, Lance Leipold, of all people, wins seven national championships at Wisconsin Whitewater, right? Nobody even knows who he is. Buffalo gets smart and hires him, completely transforms the program. Kansas gets smart and hires him. He gets them rolling. Like, like if you win, they're going to find you. So let's shift gears here, and we're going to just, if you had a vote to cast for the 2023 XFL Awards, let's just say this is the award show and this is your casting, who would you pick as Coach of the Year? As Coach of the Year, I would probably pick Reggie Barlow. And for two reasons. I thought they had a, a fantastic plan of what their identity was going to be. And outside of a couple of games, they were the cleanest, least penalized, least sloppy team in the league. They were they were a very well-oiled, consistent machine that produced and for the most part avoided errors, which to me is a reflection that they're a well-coached football team to pay attention to the little things. How about MVP? I think statistically... A.J. McCarron probably deserves it because of the consistency over the course of the season, the amount of touchdowns he threw. But I think the best overall player is Ben DiNucci. I just can't give him the MVP because he takes so many risks with the football. And like I said on our broadcast last week, I said, you got to understand something about this guy. He's a riverboat gambler, right? He's a gunslinger. And for the spectacular plays that he makes and that he creates and that you just love and you go, wow, you're going to have to live with the boneheaded ones, too. Because they're not stopping. That's just his style of play. And you know what? It may prevent him from making an active NFL roster. But when he makes plays, that dude is a guy, man. I'm just telling you, he's. I think he's the best player in the league. But didn't we see that in Brett Favre? Saw it in Brett Favre, but Brett Favre was able to at least temper some of those risks, right? Minimize some of those. And, and, and to Ben DiNucci's credit, they got better. Remember that first four weeks of the season, they were like minus 11 or something like that in turnover margin. I mean, it was something ridiculous. And then the numbers started going down. They started getting some turnovers on defense. It wasn't perfect, but they became functional, right? I mean, think about it. You look at Seattle. They're three plays from being 10-0. and 0. The field goal against D.C. and Seattle at the, last, at the last play of the game. The fumble on the one-yard line in the opener against D.C. And... St. Louis on the last play of the game, kicking the field goal in Seattle in week two. That's their three losses, three plays on the last play of the game. I mean, they're, they're, they're this close to being 10 and up. And only five points separate the two games that they lost to the defenders. They were, yeah. I mean, if you just look at it, it's not like they were destroyed in any way. So those are very close games. Yeah, plays, point totals, it doesn't yeah. matter. They were in them regardless if Danucci was making mistakes. Well, I just wanted to bring up Brett Favre because, you know, sometimes it could happen, but it's not the norm, obviously, when somebody's spending the big money for an NFL franchise quarterback. So I get it. I just, you know, Favre kind of has that aura, that vibe, and that history as a legend. So I'm like, "Eh, you know, I just got to bring this guy up. I I know they're not exact (laughs) mirror images of each other because obviously Favre never played in an XFL. So, <laughs> <laughs> if it would have been around, he would have probably tried because he loves playing so much. All right. So, two more 
awards if you could give them out. Offensive player of the year and defensive player of the year. Well, if we're going to give the MVP to AJ, I go offensive player of the year is Ben DiNucci. Defensive player of the year is probably Michael Joseph, the corner at, at DC. But there's there's a few in there. Like I think the Feeney kid at St. Louis is really, really good along the front. The linebacker at Houston, and of course his name is escaping me right now, guy that went to Miami. Uh, he's a candidate for the defensive player of the year. But the I'm going to go with the guys that just popped into my mind because they made some indelible plays throughout the year. So I'll go with 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 Ben and and uh, Michael Joseph. Is it LRB you're talking about from Houston? No, it's uh, trying to remember Trent. myself. Harris. Okay, sorry. Trent just, Harris. Just, That's just, it. Yep, there you go. Trent Harris. Sorry, I was having a moment myself. I was like, oh, I'm trying to remember who played at Miami. Anyway. Well, we'll we'll just move on. I just kind of think it's important to get a couple of different takes. I'm always asking people who they think, and none of us are going to be right and, uh, unless uh, we luck out. And um, you know, we'll see what the, the league does. With it. It's always interesting just to pick people's mind. Well, there's one more question before we move on. I know back on the last episode we had kind of touched base on unions a little bit. So yeah. here back on April 19th. We learned from the Valley Labor Report, the XFL Players Union election vote resulted in those supporting unionization had lost with an outcome of 124 casting no votes and only 73 casting yes votes. Later on that same day, we also learned that San Antonio Brahma's kicker, Parker Romo, posted on his Twitter account the following, and I'll just read it off here. We want to unionize with the right group possibly the NFL Players Association. So as I mentioned previously, we had discussed on how unionization impacted the Arena Football League, as well as how we know the USFL had unionized before they kicked off their second season here. Knowing the XFL has put a lot into place, you know, several measures and programs which focus on player first, it appears the players are not in a hurry and are looking for the perfect partner before they form their union. Have you heard anything more pertaining to this matter? And what are your thoughts on this particular vote and the possibility of partner with the NFL Players Association? I know it's a loaded question. If it's something yeah. you're like, you know, I really don't want to go down this road. The don't. No, it's, I, it's not that I. Yeah, it's not that I don't want to go down the road. It's that I know nothing. I've heard gotcha. nothing. We've had talks with the league about, you know, some of the offseason, you know, discussions that they're going to be having. I know I'm, I and I set up a call with Russ Brandon after the season uh, as well, because, you know, I'm really, really invested in this thing. I'm, I, I, I love the ins and outs of it, but I haven't. But I but I will say I will say this. It's it, it can be dangerous territory, especially if it's not done right. And, and at the end of the day, you can say what you want. But it doomed the Arena Football League. It, it, it ended what was a fantastic, viable, sustainable product, and it and it it fell under the weight of its own players who wants this and they want that and they want this salary and they want that salary and they want you know this 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 and this. Well, you can only provide that if you can pay for it, right? So the money coming in the door has to cover the money going out the door, and so I don't know if it's a sustainable discussion yet. You know, it may be three years from now. It may be five years from now. But I know this. These guys got a pretty good gig, right? Getting fed, got a place to live, getting paid pretty good. They have the freedoms to go into the NFL. I said on our broadcast on Sunday, I said, listen, this isn't 
this is this league is is not just about the opportunity to get to the NFL. This league's also about making a living playing professional football. And if you got really, really good and the NFL thing doesn't happen, you can become an ambassador for your team. You can become a big name and a guy that the franchise or the organization can put out there as the face of the, of, of the team. And, you know, there's going to be opportunities in that regard, too. And I think that when we have discussions about unionizing, the devil's always in the details, right? And it's there, there's so much that has to be ironed out. I mean, right now, I mean, I'm not making a direct comparison, but look at the mess that we're in with college football right now. We basically took the most transformative legislation in the history of athletics and dumped it on the lap of every university in America and said, you deal with it. No rules, no guidelines, no enforcement, no policing. And they're like, oh, wait, what? what? How, how are we supposed to do this, right? So whatever you do, you better have a plan in place going forward. Yeah, it seems huge either way. You know, I understand yeah. players are looking to protect themselves with X amount of leagues folding in the past. You know, and in some cases we heard where players got taken care of, whether it was their travels, their pay for the rest of the season. In other cases, mm-hmm. they're kind of left on their own. So I understand it from a player's perspective, you know, like, well, how do we protect ourselves? Because we're giving up and we're moving all to Arlington, let's say in this case. Yeah. I understand that. But I also understand the on the flip side is, it might take more than one season or two seasons if you want to achieve your National Football League dream or if you just want to stay in football. You know, we keep talking about the yeah. football ecosystem. Well, the football ecosystem could be more than just the National Football League, the collegiate game, you know, Canadian Football League. It could be multiple leagues, but we can't be too greedy to ruin it, you know, too early. Let's, you know, so Absolutely. I can see it both ways. I can 100% see it both ways and I can't fault no anybody, but. No, it would hurt everybody else, all the other jobs tied to football if they didn't get it right, like you said. So the attention you know, needs yes. to be on the details and make sure that those are ironed out uh, as well as possible. Well, yep. you know, this comes to another end here, Tom, another conversation. I, again, it's been a pleasure. And I appreciate yeah, taking the time to return to just talk about the XFL with me. You bet, man. Anytime you want to talk, even if it's in the summer or the fall and catch up, we'll, uh, we'll definitely do it, man. Appreciate it. One more opportunity for you to throw out your social media handles there. If anyone wants to follow you and <laughs> your journeys across the XFL college football and heck even skiing wherever you might end up. Oh man. Oh yeah. I've got all kinds of skiing adventures. I got skiing adventures, water and snow skiing. I got, uh, I got all kinds of stuff. No, I, yeah, it's funny. I, I'm not a, if you've seen me on social media, if you've seen me in my Instagram or my Twitter, you'll see that I'm not a big self promoter. I don't tweet a lot. Like I don't, and if I do tweet something, it's usually something to joke about. Or if I'm doing something on Instagram, it's usually family related or this and that. Cause it's a good way to stay in touch with the family when I'm out on the road and they're home. So, but uh, at Tom Luganville is my handle, but just, just know you're probably not going to be wowed by anything that I put out there. Because I'm not that the, the the big oh every time I get on an airplane I'm going to take a picture of the wing like it's like dude what, what do you, why are you showing me a picture of this plate of spaghetti that you ate for dinner I don't care why does anybody care about that so <laughs> I won't be putting any of those things out there it's all good thank you Tom you bet man thank you having Tom as a guest is a pleasure he is a fantastic guest who genuinely speaks his mind it is refreshing to get his insight and take on the XFL. And I can't wait for the next time we can coordinate another appearance. Unfortunately, we do not have any fan line messages this week. 
If you have an XFL-related comment, question, or hot take and would like it to be heard on the show, reach out to the fan line by calling 863-TALK-XFL or 863-825-5935. Doing so, your message could be included in an upcoming episode. All good things must come to an end. This concludes another episode of Player 54 Podcast. As always, I am interested in receiving your feedback. So do not be a stranger. Reach out to let me know your thoughts. And if you do so, your comments might just make it on the show. But before you go, do not forget to subscribe and rate the show on your platform of choice. One last thing. If you're interested in checking out our friends over at Royal Retros by 503 Sports, do not forget to click on the link in the show's description and notes, as well as that sweet code, Let's Talk XFL, or 10% off your purchase. Thank you for tuning in. Till next time, cheers. Thank you for tuning into today's show. Don't forget to subscribe and rate Player 54 Podcast on your platform of choice. You can follow the show on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Player 54 Podcast. Do you have a question or topic you would like to have addressed on the show? Message the show via social media or send an email to player54podcast at gmail.com.